Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Welcome to April, wherein April showers apparently bring podcasts of several hours. Yes, Graham McMillan and I talk for very, very close to three hours, mainly about the 2005-2006 DC event miniseries Infinite Crisis by Jeff Johns, Phil Jimenez, and a raft of others. We analyze the secret of 1999's Notting Hill starring Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts, and we try to make sense of the news of the week concerning Comic Hub, Marvel, DC, and Diamond. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. We hope you enjoy. We hope you're staying safe and healthy. And as always, thank you for listening. Jeff Lester! Graham McMillan Hello. That's me! That is you! Oh, thank God! <laughs> You know, it's all working out. You've not called the wrong person. Wouldn't that be a great start to next? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, and it's like Al Kennedy. And I'm like, oh, Al, I'm so sorry. Well, now we've ruined the the start to an episode for for the future. Or have we? Have we, Graham? I mean, I'm sort of feeling like Zack Snyder here. I'm sort of like sitting here and kind of live tweeting what my plans will be or won't be or could have been or could <laughs> not have been exactly what what is the jeff lester cut yes exactly what is the jeff lester cut it's a good question it's such a good question that um i feel the best way to answer it is just with an with a hashtag release the jeff lester cut and then um you know if it gets enough traction i'll uh, maybe i'll figure something out but I have a plan, and that plan is to figure something out when it gets popular enough. Or is it? Or it's not. Anyway, Graham McMillan, howdy. I uh, <laughs> I was going to ask how yeah. you're doing. Yes, it sounds, it sounds like... Way, I feel like I've just discovered the answer. <laughs> I feel like all of us have just like lived through the answer. <laughs> Indeed we have. Indeed we have. Or have we? Maybe we haven't. Or we will. Anyway, no, I'm sorry. uh, Yeah, so I'll tell you, Graham, there's a couple of things going on here. One of which is, thanks to some correspondence uh, by friend of the podcast, Dominic L. Franco, I decided to pull a total Graham McMillan and reread Infinite Crisis on DC Universe before this podcast. However, since I am not you who reads at roughly the speed of sound, I barely finished in time. I think I broke my brain and or sprained my ankle. Um, but I, I also I also have some thoughts. I also have some I, thoughts. I am I am fascinated a by your choice. I know why because because because. Uh, you know, it was it was brought up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also amused because last night I reread the 12 issue Ion series, mm. which was one of the one year later books when Ron Mars came back to to Kyle Rayner. So we're in the same like similar uh, era. Uh, Jeff, tell me about your Infinite Crisis thoughts. Well, okay, I got it. Especially like I reread it relatively recently too. Yeah. Oh, did you? Well, okay. Spoilers, 
my thoughts about Infinite Crisis are not nearly as groundbreaking as my thoughts about Notting Hill, which are going to blow your fucking brains right out of your ears. But Infinite Crisis, as you may recall, was a seven-issue limited series, which was the culmination of several years of plotting and planning and stitching together with the previously a year out the um the countdown to infinite crisis one dollar special which launched into four separate miniseries and then congealed into infinite crisis which was the first sort of mega event that i think jeff johns did uh, uh for dc actually the second is it he did Day of Judgment, which weirdly enough has never been collected. Or oh, you're right, that's super early in his career too. That's before yeah. JSA and everything. Yes, oh, 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 that's right. Um, so thank you for correcting me on that. But yes, uh, and I, so there's a couple of things that I'll probably, hopefully, get to burrow into more deeply. But one of the things that very much struck me about uh, Infinite Crisis is. It has a remarkable number of similarities to Jeff Johns's Doomsday Clock. Um, I don't. I, please, well, please. Uh, do you mean in the metatextual element, the, the idea that like comic characters have essentially infected some sort of hyper-aware DC universe? Uh, I would say that is that is a that is part of it. Two. Uh, for people who don't necessarily remember, Infinite Crisis has a number of uh, bubbling crises. Uh, D- the DC universe of the time has more or less seemed to hit a melting point. And we see that sort of in the first issue of, of Infinite Crisis where the the DC's trinity, the, the, the power trio of Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman are utterly at odds wonder woman is seen as a threat and a sort of superhero menace after killing maxwell lord uh and having that that murder be seen um you know around the world yeah. around the it, world it's broadcast exactly. yeah. yeah exactly um superman and batman each have their various batman is more or less still struggling with a the fact that his um more or less the paranoia that has arisen out of the results of his mind wiping in identity as revealed in identity crisis has led to his uh, suspicion of superheroes moving to the fore. And thus he creates the brother eye program, which then with help from uh, several different sources ends up achieving sentience and begins the OMAC program Uh, and Superman I I forget what Superman's problem is, but it's. Um... I mean, Superman's problem, honestly, is as it's put in the first issue, like Superman has ceased being an inspirational figure. Yes. Superman has become so concerned with the way that people see him that he has become inactive. Yeah, that well, or or rather, yes, that Superman is has become too passive, has not inspired anyone, as Batman put it, since he died. Uh, so, so the, they are at odds and in the course of these crises, there is, as is similar to Doomsday Clock, an observer slash is from outside the universe 
who have become fixated on both the idea of the superheroes and in particular the conception that Superman is an essential inherent facet of the universe around which everything revolves. Um, the difference is that whereas Dr. Manhattan, and I don't know, cause I'm only like seven or eight issues into that unending blabbity blab that is doomsday crisis, but have not finished it appears, um, fixated on the DC universe and the idea about some um, befuddlement on his end as to whether the superheroes of the DC universe are quote unquote better than the world that he left behind or not. And is more or less, if I understand things correctly, kind of semi testing them. Similarly in infinite crisis, the figures who are outside time and space are, in fact, the survivors of the original Crisis on Infinite Earths, the Superman and Lois Lane from Earth 2, the Superboy from Earth Prime, and the Alexander Luther from, I think, Earth 3, who is, quote-unquote, the good uh, Lex Luthor. Um, he's, he's technically the son of the good Lex Luthor. Yeah, sorry. The son of which, the good which, Lex Which is Luthor. the get-out clause. Yes, Right. That, like, Johns has for the, the whole, you know, how how does this all work out in terms of Earth 3 being reverse morality? Right. He's not he's not really Lex Luthor. He's Lex Luthor's kid. Yes. And so, therefore, well, and I think maybe we'll get to that or not, depending. Um, but uh, sort of in the same way that it is more or less revealed that a Doomsday Clock is is um, an invasion by two separate forces uh, in that Dr. Manhattan appears to be the um, troublemaker, but in fact, Ozymandias is uh, an instigator behind the scenes, um, manipulating everyone to his uh, own devious ends. It turns out that although it looks as if uh, Superman and the people from outside time want to bring back Earth to a better earth and restore the dc universe to the better place that you know it is more or less fallen precipitously from uh a, alexander luther uh, along with superboy from earth prime have their own nefarious reasons and in fact have been behind the scenes of manufacturing all the various um Dan DiDio dictated events, essentially. <laughs> so, uh, so, so there's a whole bunch of fascinating stuff going on. It's definitely John's plan. Um, as the series goes on, it builds up ahead of meta text. What I find also fascinating is, is that just as there are a lot of comparisons to Doomsday Clock, I would also say that, um, John's Infinite Crisis uh, does a dry run for a lot of stuff that ends up popping up in DC uh, Rebirth, um, especially the uh, idea that the world of the DC universe has turned dark, you know? Yes. And yes. what's interesting, of course, is is that in, in the DC, in 
DC Rebirth, it's very much pinned to the, you know, Watchmen and the grim and gritty Alan Moorish realistic influence. Intriguingly, in a page in Infinite Crisis, where I believe it's, I don't remember if it's Alexander Luther or maybe it's Superman of Earth 2, lays it out. It's essentially the comic book's sales of the, the the comic book boom of the 90s that is the destructive force like they now, I, I i might be misremembering right um you finished it right you finished infinite crisis yes uh yes uh, is there not a reveal that like it is actually luther and it has been luther like, yes uh, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. At, sorry at one point yes you know yes the dc universe itself started to go quote-unquote off the rails but what pushed it to the crisis point that you know no pun intended that it is at the start of the story is that alexander luther has been sneaking in yes sorry oh, that that right. was my point yeah. alexander luther slash dan didio has led to the corruption has led to this current crisis but the two things that are i think very interesting is a john's um very much posits earlier that in recapping Crisis on Infinite Earths and what comes after, I think it maybe is the Superman of Earth 2 says like everything started out so promisingly and you see, Uh, yeah, yeah, Justice League International, you definitely see Byrne and Perez's Wonder Woman, you know, and then you on the page turn, it is the 90s. It's actually comical because, of course, there's Bane breaking. Um, yeah, it, it's it's literally like Bane breaking Superman, uh, Batman's back, Superman dying. Right. Like the big 90s stories. Right. Like, and uh, Wonder Woman Hal wearing Hal hot becoming, pants, which I thought was great. So. Uh, Hal Jordan becoming uh, Parallax, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, 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 yeah. Although that it's interesting how much that sort of um, – doesn't get a lot of visual representation. It 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 gets a shout out in, uh, when Superboy is in the process of um, of kicking ass and taking names in either the penultimate or ultimate issue. He breaks Hal Jordan's arm and says like, "Oh, I know you. You're like the worst of all. You fucked everything up." So uh, so the other thing that I thought was really interesting that I'm kind of curious, I don't necessarily know if John's would have, would still do today is one of the things that's very lovely is uh, Alexander Luther um, in disguise as Lex Luther uh, is rallying all of the um, uh, supervillains into, you know, the Dan Dio plot of every supervillain teams up uh, to beat the shit out of everyone. Yes, the and, Legion of Doom. Well, yeah, the Legion of Doom. Like four exactly. or five times. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is this is it. Uh, Psycho Pirate is one of his dudes. And at one point, there is a... Uh, when Alexander is revealed to be the bad guy behind everything, I don't remember who, I think it's Power Girl or somebody else who's chained into the mega machine that's going to bring back the Anti-Monitor, is like, oh, so and you used psycho pirate to manipulate you know basically to make batman paranoid to make wonder woman kill max lord and to make superman you know waffly doubt guy and and luther is like no they got there on it their own it'd be yeah, wonderful yeah, i could take me. credit yeah. for it yeah which i thought was kind of oh like you because i am fascinated that if that was the point where i was like i'm not sure if johns would actually hit that same note it's 
it's a better quote unquote note to hit, you know, in the sense of the drama really is natural and there is something to this crisis that is going to be uh, resolved. The, the, the internal challenges that mm-hmm. Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman are facing. But it it was kind of interesting that it was very much um, the the point, which is not really. I mean, we'll we'll get into. There's the architecture of Infinite Crisis, which honestly is stronger than I remembered it, uh, with the exception of the final issue where things just start wiggle wagging all over the place. Yeah, it, it, so you read in DC Universe, right? So you were reading the single issues. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, I have the collection, mm, uh, mm. and you may or may not know that they did like significant rework in the collection. Oh no, I did not. And know the that. last issue is is different. Really? But they uh, don't put so that the... different version on DC Universe. It's actually the original. Yeah, yes, yeah, it's kind of amazing. Wow, uh, that's crazy. They re-inked and recolored some of the pages, Which like the big sense. double page spread. Oh yeah, yeah, like that's they, they basically <laughs> finished inking it and yeah. coloring it. Yeah, yeah, the incredibly um, embarrassing the, art. That but the double page spread at the end of the book of all the heroes, yeah, is completely different. It's a different artist. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, and there and there's there's dialogue changes throughout as well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting because they clearly went back and went like this, this is, this is not like we didn't get a chance to do this right, right. So they 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 fixed it, like but, and they actually did. It's one of those times that you're like, yeah, this actually reads differently. Wow. So I mean, I, did I, they change motivations into Nate? Um... I, I I'm not sure if they change motivations, mm-hmm. but they definitely change dialogue and explanations. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, do you remember any of the differences? Because it seems like that I, would be a I, thing. I genuinely don't because I reread the collected edition. I don't remember. All I remember is like the visual differences. Right. Because like they stand out much so much more. I, you know, I should jump in and God help me, Graham, if you make me check this, the check the collected edition out of Hoopla if they have it. But God help me. I it, probably no, it's will. not. It's not worth it. It's not like significant, massive changes. Well, I mean, maybe just for the last issue. Because I mean, there is some stuff. The other thing that I thought was interesting is that, um, un- I would say that that it's a seven issue series and six issues are pretty solid. You know, the first six. And in fact, I, okay, you're like, no, you don't think so. Huh? Well, I, okay. I think it falls apart around issue five or six. I would say the last two issues are ropey. I'm, I'm not even like ropey in, in the bad sense, uh-huh. but I think that just as, you know, Doomsday Clock really falls apart around issue eight or nine. Right. Um, you can see John's lose control of Infinite Crisis around issue six. Well, but so here's my thing, and I could be completely wrong, but A, a I do not disagree. However, one of the things that I think is uh, pretty interesting is how much John's feels um, he he, not unlike, oh, I don't know, Alexander Luther or Superboy, is kind of serving two masters, you know? He has his his own story is, I mean, issue six with the death of Connor Kent is more or less the conclusion of a story that Johns had started up when he took over Teen Titans. And for, for that matter also does a number of other big the big flash moments that you remember are pretty much in issue six 
issue seven is is more of the it's how, kind of like the big action finish. Yeah, it's a big action finish, and and unlike something like Final Crisis, Johns actually does leave the room and space in for for the big action beats. But it's almost the fact that Superboy Prime comes back at the end of six, which makes like is a weird undoing of what happens five pages earlier or ten pages yes, earlier. But, but also is like a, a real problem narratively. Yes. Absolutely. Because Superboy Prime in the last issue, and honestly, I, I feel maybe I'm misremembering. I feel it's the last two issues. Superboy Prime becomes "quote unquote" the real bad guy, mm-hmm. which is insane. Like Alexander Luther basically historians in a like a cameo sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Well, no, but see, I mean, this is okay. So, but this is this is, uh, again. This is where stuff starts to fall apart. And what I think is interesting is in ways that we will never know uh, so much of the groundwork that ends up playing out in the new 52 rebirth. And then even post rebirth, the schism between Dan DiDio and Jeff Johns and sort of what Johns is being tasked with doing that. He's like, okay. And stuff that he's tasked with doing where he's like, I don't want to fucking do this. And so there's, I think the classic is how clearly everything is set up to be the death of Dick Grayson, you know, at the end of the series. And of course he does not die. Um, But interestingly enough, and I could be wrong because maybe both DiDio and, uh, and Johns are big fans of Marvel comics from the 80s. But Infinite Crisis has a lot of um, plot points jammed into it that very much remind me of the sort of Grunwald, Carlin DeFalco era of Marvel comics, where the idea was to essentially reduce both quote-unquote repetition and a little bit of the sense of you know just kind of the the casual proliferation of the miraculous i guess sort of in the same way that you see in grunwald's edited avengers sort of the removal of the savage land from the map the removal of like the scroll as shape changers like a variety of things infinite crisis has um amazon island disappear so that wonder woman is now the only amazon on earth and amazon island doesn't exist at all the speed force is literally removed and at the end of it there is only one flash remaining uh which weirdly enough ends up being jay um there's something else where i was like oh this is a huge reduction there's also of course a very um marked uh, there's a lot of Green Lanterns being killed in a way that suggested that I thought that there was going to be a, a winnowing down of the forces, but there's also a reduction in, you know, essentially the the number of mascots. So it's all kind of a, a trimming of the fat in a way that, that, of course, someone like Grant Morrison, or I think even Johns would say is part of what makes things delightful, I guess. Um 
And of course, you see as the book goes on, as Johns gets more metatextually playful, he also starts like taking some of the stuff like just, you know, the early appearance of Buddy Baker's Animal Man, which, you know, is more or less putting in place for the 52 stuff, Mm -hmm. barely anything more than that, later leads to, you know, cameo appearances by Seven Soldiers of Victory, which totally fucked up my brain because I was like, wait, weren't they long after this and had to do the research and know they're... Yeah, no, no. It's like Seven Soldiers was finishing around the same time as yeah, Christ. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they both, which is just mind-blowing. But also at one point when Luther starts, uh, Alexander Luther is grabbing planets to smash together to try and create his own, a new perfect Earth. Uh, he ends up, of course, reaching out, saying Earth Prime, and then looking off the page and having his fingers reach off the page in in pure Morrisonian um, wackiness. And, of course, Superboy, over the course of things, goes on from being a sort of, you know, kind of just just sort of a, a whiny, complainy kid to becoming much closer to the level of metatextual um, fanboy nipple tweaking that yeah, John Scott which, which honestly, with. like, really happens uh, in Legion of Three Worlds, right? Like, like if you follow, know. like, if you follow Superboy through, besides the like hilariously strange uh side trips he takes mm-hmm. like he shows up in like the sinestro core war in green lantern for no reason yeah and then he shows up in countdown to final crisis wow. for even less reason because jeff jones isn't writing him and right so it comes out nowhere because that's also the point where they rename him superman prime oh well i think they probably didn't have much of a choice with that one I I suspect yeah, but it's it, like in retrospect, it looks really oh, fucking strange. Absolutely, know? absolutely. But again, uh, that is that weird real world. Oh, Siegel's the Siegel's and Schuster yeah, and yeah. the. I guess it's Siegel, right? Jerry Siegel's family and the derivative invention of Superboy. They get it's like at being challenged at that point, and suddenly Superboy just goes away as much as possible in DC published titles, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, but it's really Legion of Three Worlds where he becomes, you know, he really very much becomes John's, I mean, barely veiled, like, criticism of fandom. Right. Which is, which I think is fascinating. I mean, useful and hilarious for John's. Uh, it's, it's funny how much that grows because he's such a riff on kid miracle man um by that last issue where he's turning around and i mean admittedly um johns is doing some different stuff with him but but at the same time that's very very clearly where johns is is pulling a lot of this Mm -hmm. and and so uh so anyway infinite crisis ends up being this that's the other thing is is at one point um, when Luther is taking worlds and smashing them together, at one point he starts taking Earth three and he starts smushing it together with some other Earth. I forget, but you literally see the heroic Alexander Luther and Superman being shoved together. And I was like, oh, I, you know, this is a far better Flashpoint origin 
than you know what I mean? Like for this is a better origin for the new fifty two than Flashpoint. I'm still like this is my current obsession is is like oh the new fifty two is actually one of those little sprangled jammed together things makes more sense it, to me than what we end up hearing. Yep. You've never read Convergence, right? Uh, no, no, I have not. I have not. Uh, part of me is so tempted to suggest you read Convergence. Right, right. Um, I'm also tempted not to because I'm not sure I'm that cruel. <laughs> uh, well, here's, here's so Convergence came out and it's eight issues on this weekly, and there's a Convergence issue zero beforehand, right? Mm-hmm. Which you think in issue zero is setting up the series, and it's utterly not. It's by a completely different creative team, and it is it's a nightmare mm-hmm. it's a it's a, a a horrible off-putting overly written comic <laughs> that is more or less acts as an a visually ugly epilogue for a superman storyline mm-hmm. than it does set out setting up convergence mm-hmm. convergence itself if anyone's going to read it mm-hmm. first of all start with issue one do not read issue, issue zero. zero like right. just don't right. just fucking don't um it's such a weird series that is almost ungentle to all the crossovers because you may remember there was like twenty two different like spin off series. Oh yeah, Convergence. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the end of Convergence, it basically kind of makes the argue argument that Convergence created the new fifty two. Mm. It makes this really weird thing where it's like so because it undoes a lot of like DC meta continuity. Mm. I mean, utterly undoes it. Mm-hmm. It undoes prices in Ember Earths, Jeff. Wow. Right? Mm. Like, it just does. Mm. Um, and then, like, and then it's like, and as time ripples out, this happened instead. And right. you're like, wait, what are you actually saying? No one really has referred to Convergence ever since, even though there was a point in, like, DC Rebirth where it was actually central right. to Rebirth. Right. Like, right. It, it's the only way Rebirth made sense. And then kind of everyone you know, quietly went, mm, 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 let's, <laughs> let's pretend not. Yeah. Um, but no, it, it's, Infinite Crisis would have made a better start for the New 52. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, 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 especially because, unlike Flashpoint, the idea of changing reality runs all the way through the series. Absolutely. As opposed to Flashpoint, where yeah. it literally comes up in like three pages at the end of the fucking comic. Right, right. Um, but, Convergence almost feels like an after-the-fact explanation, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, God, but I'm almost like, yeah, if you're stuck at home, read Convergence. How I... bad can I get? And the answer is, don't read Convergence. <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting was uh, that this came up because uh, in in his email, uh, Dominic had mentioned kind of you know, had asked what the last crossover that had really worked for us were. And I was, he, he himself talked about uh, Infinite Crisis and mentioned some of the moments in it. And I'm like, huh, I should revisit it because I remember it left such a sour taste in my mouth by the end of it. And I think there's a lot in that last issue where, um, there's a shit ton of plot hammering like that. There's a moment of course, where Batman picks up a gun and holds it on Alexander Luther and is about to pull the trigger and Diana comes out with her sword and, and it's, it's massively unearned throughout 
Yes. The rest of it. Like there's a few, there's actually a few interesting, clever moments with one of the things that's actually very enjoyable is Superman of Earth 2 shows up to Batman and is like, let me help you. You help me recreate Earth 2. It's a better world. I can see you. You're in pain. Everyone was better. And, and, you know, and I don't, you know me, I don't, Superman doesn't lie. Um, and Batman's like, well, so is this universe Dick Grayson actually worse than the Dick Grayson from your world? And, and Superman of Earth 2 is forced to concede no. So the idea that Dick Grayson is basically the good, basically the sort of paragon of, of that universe works really well as an emotional beat for Batman, at least in that scene, but the scene where, and then it looks like he's dead, you know, so Batman picks up a gun and walks over to Luther and is about to blow his brains out. I'm like, this is unearned. The whole thing with Wonder Woman, where she spends a lot of time, um, you know, once Paradise Island disappears, she more or less does too until the Wonder Woman of Earth 2 shows up and gives her the invisible jet and the message like, hey, everybody fucks up. You've got to make sure yeah, to tell and, and Superman that. that, is, that. That's really one of the problems with Immigrant Crisis though. Like the first yeah. issue does dramatically set out, you right. know, these characters are broken. Yeah. They've they gone too far in various ways. Like uh, Superman has essentially become paralyzed by mm -hmm. his own awareness of his importance. Yes. Batman has become so paranoid that he cannot trust anyone or let anyone in. Right. One woman has become, again, far too aware of how people see her and has given in to her baser urges. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the series does not actually solve any of that. No. Like, the solution of Superman is like, he'll just punch Superboy Prime. Right. And then you'll give up his powers to show that he's self-sacrificing. And it's like, he gave up his powers by mistake, literally. Yeah. Like, he, he didn't choose to do it. He, it happened by accident. Right. Right. You know? Well, does he? Yes. I mean. He doesn't actually make the choice. Like, he does it in the heat of the moment. Well, it's the, it is. It is a heat of a moment that is very much a suicide moment that, sure, sure. that yeah. they survive. I, I, like, I think it's super important. The thing that kind of is – the thing that's weird and sort of sucky and is – the Superman beat is very much – because there's two separate points. One where he's kind of with Lois and staring at the wall and one where he and Superboy uh, are beating the pudding out of one another – and he more or less says, like, and Superman stands for action. And, of course, I'm like, yeah, okay, that's the name of his other title. And then, of course, realizing, like, oh, no, wait, this is, I think this is what Johns is supposed to be. This is his point, like Superman's yes, exactly. realizing. Yes. But it, this, is, this is his thing. It means, it means nothing, you know. And it... it and there's a, you know, there's a whole bunch of other weird stuff. It's interesting uh, watching Johns, who has done a super long run on Flash and JSA, and it, a lot of his work is ta it gets power from legacy characters realizing that they're parts of bigger legacies and how those legacies interact with one another, and. Watching him in Infinite Crisis being tasked with taking that shit away. In fact, I feel like doesn't doesn't the JSA or Justice Society disapp 
disappear? Does it permanently disappear? Or does uh, it come back? I can't even remember by the end. At in, one point, in, they get whipped away. Yeah. At one point, they get whipped away, but then I think they come back. No, because yeah, the GSA title is continuing during all of this. Like, uh, it's, right. Okay. So they don't go away. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. might be thinking of bizarrely... Um, like zoom zero hour no or, no no which, no, like, no does yeah. actually write them out yeah what what happens is one of the at one point around issue five or six pretty much as you point out where the series starts to go off the rails it has the jsa have been removed to quote-unquote earth two the rebuilt earth yes. two which is an antiseptic um you know, facsimile, a simulacrum of Earth. And they're kind of like, why are we here? This doesn't even make any sense. Power Girl, who now knows her origin, is sort of able to tell them. And it comes up to that very clever, to me, battle of uh, the Superman of Earth 2 and the Superman of Earth 1, where Superman of Earth 2, of course, has lost his lowest lane and is so bereft. And when Superman of Earth 1 shows up... um, Superman of Earth Two hits him with a car in a in a wonderful parody of the first cover of Action Comics. Yeah, but but I sort of it's weird how much um, John's John's is interesting to me because I can't tell to what extent his hands are, are tied, and also I feel like Infinite Crisis is the area where I walked out at the end of it being like, I don't think that John's has anything to say like he is very fond of playing with the way he says it but i it's almost as if john's is basically much closer to the formalist uh leanings of alan moore in terms of you know hitting the bong and talking about what it means for superman to be in the world but he doesn't you don't he dresses it up in a hallmark card but he doesn't really believe it and of course that's the classic thing with johns is he's always talking about you know how important heroics are and what the nature of heroism means and meanwhile people are getting their arms ripped off and things well, yeah that i mean that's the dichotomy of john right? right exactly that he writes like in infinite crisis and doomsday clock he's written two series which are fairly explicitly the DC universe has become corrupt. I mean, you could even right. put DC Rebirth in there. The DC universe has become corrupt. The DC universe has become a darker place. This is the result of external forces. Yes. Right? Like, the current level of darkness, at least, is the result of external forces. Right. Um, and we have to get back to a hopeful, like, ideal. Right. But as he does in, in his own stories. Right. And, and, you know, especially Infinite Crisis, you know, it's played for laughs that, you know, essentially Superboy Prime starts fucking maiming people. Yes. But he starts fucking maiming people on panel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's like, you can't really make that argument that I'm trying to bring about a more hopeful, optimistic, kinder present. Right. While your characters are purposefully going deeper and darker Mm -hmm. than they had done previously. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, sometimes I, I... I wonder again. There's so much that is in Infinite Crisis that that I feel ends up recurring in some of John's later stories, and again his later crossovers. That uh, I, you know, I was like, huh. There's a lot. He's 
John's is super, he's very much a, a, like he's a Gnostic, right? Like he's very much, this universe has become corrupted. There's a pure version that exists and we more or less have to get out of the trap. Um, but there's, you know, and then there's the laying out who corrupted the universe and why and blah, blah, blah. But he can never really imagine a state outside of that. And I do sort of wonder the extent to which John's is, to the extent that there is any sort of ongoing message to John's work, which I really don't, I don't think that there is, but it is an essential, I wonder if it is the apologia of a man who gets paid work for hire, which is essentially at every point in John's stories, you've got someone who's saying, you're making me do this. I don't want to do this, but you're making me do this. Now, Superboy's doing that for, is saying that in, in the most the villainous sort of craven yeah exactly way. yeah it, it's like it's again it's it's almost played for comedy right, right. yeah they, like i can't believe you're making me do this like why are you beating yourself yes yeah but, exactly but, but you're right he, he makes that argument yeah. and and in uh doomsday clock or, or rebirth slash doomsday clock so they're essentially one story mm-hmm. the argument is that like again everyone is out of the control of of everyone but Manhattan and right. Dr. Manhattan is again not even intentionally doing it right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right he's, he's doing it through some sort of dispassionate um curiosity well right Curi- curiosity which I think John's is in Doomsday Clock is more or less sort of saying a you know, let's say that it's a spirit of more like formalistic experimentation, maybe. But in in the realm of infinite crisis, I think is very much the market forces that Doctor Manhattan essentially represents the the forces of the direct market. Ooh, that, they're that, both DM. That, you know, Doctor Manhattan, that, direct market. I'm having no, I'm having yeah, an no, epiphany yeah. here. No, I, no, I get no. that, but but also like I think that I'm not sure he does. I feel that Doctor Manhattan almost stands in for all the creators. Mm-hmm. The idea that like you know none of them quote unquote meant to do wrong. Right, right. But making the changes that they have made, right, they fucked everything up. Yeah, that's actually a, a that's a that's a lovely way to look at it. Um... You, but it's it's I'm not, and I don't think it is the drug markets. I don't think I I think the Superboy Prime can almost be seen as a as a sense of like blaming the reader or blaming the fan base, right? right. I, th- I think that's I think that's again becomes more true the more Johns writes him. Well, oh, absolutely. Like absolutely. the end, of, yeah. the end of Legion of Three Worlds is Superboy Prime fucking goes onto a message board, <laughs> about the story. Right, right. You know, yeah. Um, and again, that sounds like a joke, and it's not. That's the fucking end of the comic. Well, sure, um, but that's but that is also an extension to the meta text of the of Superman and Superboy, who more or less represent a previous generation of readers saying things used to be better. You know, like that's that the that, that 
although it becomes more explicit the more that Johns pushes it and pushes it into the fanboys, like, you know, Superman of Earth 2 is very much the original Greybeard, you know, in the sense of he's sitting there being like, well, back in my day, you know, heroes acted like heroes. They didn't act like these jerks and young whippersnappers yeah, yeah, and you yes, kids get off yeah, my lawn, yeah. right? And it's so strange because, like, Superboy Prime is theoretically younger than anyone making those arguments. Right, right, right. That's the other thing that's so interesting. I think so, too. Because, especially because John's is essentially making those arguments. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I do – it makes me wonder if, like, John's kind of thought that he was going to be – is he self-satirizing? I don't... I will see. that's it. I don't know. I don't... The weird part about Johns is, apart from bits of snark and, oh, here's a clever way to twist pretzel A into plot B, I don't know if... I don't know... Like, I really finished that... I really finished Infinite Crisis being like, what the fuck does Jeff Johns care about you know what i mean like if yeah, it's yeah. It, no it's a, it's, a, it's a it's a legitimate question right yeah it's it really was the big thing by the time i got to the to the end of it there's a there's a lot of things that he again says but it's never really backed up in a way that feels like it means yeah, yeah. you know so it's i just i just don't know i mean I, again, I feel like there's a case to be made that that John's oeuvre is kind of the work of a, you know, a constant people pleaser who's got a real mean passive aggressive streak. But, but I don't know. I mean, honestly, I'm just sort of like, but that even that's just sort of behavior. Like, I don't, I really don't know what he what he wants or cares about. Or it's it's really weird how much. In fact, there's almost a weird um, uh, sort of the same way that he seems like a Gnostic. There's just this weird he's he's so um, like the part of what appeals to him about legacy because there's one thing that goes on and on and on, which I think is actually really fun is Alexander Luther is like there's always a Superman and there's always a Luther and they're always in opposition to each other. And, and this is kind of the weird way that, that, that John's kind of keep saying, like, you know what I mean? Like they're like, um, you know, Wally and Bart are, are flashes, you know, and belonging to being a flash is a thing. Power girl rediscovering her, quote-unquote heritage which john's of course i feel like rewrites to make her so much more um the the adopted daughter of clark and lois of earth too mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know there's a there's a lot of this the like john's isn't is seems his investment in lineage is more from the i literally that that's your only foundational aspect to your identity you know like it's not it's it's not what you do it's literally who, who you are yeah who you are and so mm-hmm. uh it's it's a it's a it's a it's a really it's a really weird place to be pa- pa- part of that is 
Johns is, and you know, this is no surprise coming from the man who wrote The Flash or JSA or Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. Johns is uh, hyper, the idea of legacy right. is hyper central to Johns' idea of DC. Yeah, absolutely. You know, which is ironic for the person who wrote like uh, Justice League in the New 52, which was like the book that set the tone for the New 52. Right. But but John's like legacy. I mean, you look at DC Rebirth, mm-hmm. and it you know it it purposefully brings in the idea of legacy again. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get to bring back the Justice Society or Legion, but he hints at both. Yes, because the idea of that legacy is important. Yep, it is central to what DC is for him. Yep. I mean, it's honestly it's central to what DC is for me. Right, but it also removes some element of of personal responsibility. Of right. of right. Uh, getting to 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 a free will. I mean, yes. No. Absolutely. But, right. No. But, no. 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 Know, but of, you're of right. The idea that like any of these characters get to self determine. Right. You know, because it, it is. It's much more important that they are keeping the legacy alive, or yep. they are living up to someone else's dream. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Very much so. And yeah, it's uh, you know, it's funny actually. There's the part. There's a. It's just one page. But um, and I don't remember if it's in the Superboy bloodbath or there's the sort of the, you know, uh, League of Super, the Secret Society of Supervillains comes back and is kicking ass. And um, two or three of the Charlton characters get killed pretty violently, like in three successive panels like i think like i don't remember like someone kills judo master and then yeah someone shoots peacemaker like through the well, chest I, I, and yeah and don't forget like in, like the instigating thing in issue one is like uncle sam and the freedom fighters get killed oh yeah right right yeah there's a big thing with like uncle sam like lying discarded in a pile of sewer mm-hmm. water or something and that's and that's almost all that you see of him until i think maybe he pops up in that really poorly drawn double page thing but yeah you know yeah no there's right there's 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 a whole bunch of i mean part of it is the there's a lot of there's there's the the traditional dc like you know dan didio comes in and gives you the slip of paper with the the 12 characters yeah, that you're you allowed kill. to kill yeah yeah, yeah. exactly so and you know you can't really go wrong by killing Uncle Sam and the Freedom Fighter, right? It's not like anyone other than Jeff Johns probably cared about Judo Master. Well, yeah, you know. yeah, right, exactly, Judo Master. But yeah, there's actually that panel which is so uh, um, such a Jeff Johns panel where Bizarro beats the human bomb to death just because yeah. he loves watching the pretty lights yeah. of the explosions. I was like, oh, that's that's so Jeff Johns. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of like it's. It it works within the characters. It's a, um, a an interesting beat with a featuring a relatively obscure character, but it also kind of doesn't. It's you know it's just sort of brutality for its own sake, which is fascinating because it is very much John's. Meanwhile, is is blowing the trumpet of you know, you can't do this stuff just for its own sake. There's always a higher purpose that's involved. So yeah, it's uh it's the the it it was a really weird reread. I gotta say I just mainlined it and wish I could have slowed it down a little bit. It helped but it did I mean you could you could go into like fifty two after this. Like you could really extend it. 
Well, you know, I thought about that, but the thing about 52 is for for better and worse, um, you know, it's it's different writers doing different yeah. things and uh again, I sort of feel that I'm starting to think that maybe John's as people pleaser is you know, he he definitely has more of his big violent moments come come out of there, but he's also um playfully writing more like Wade and Wade writing more like Morrison, yeah, yeah, exactly. Morrison there, there, writing more like John's of... and yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, there, there yeah, especially like remember at the time they were like, Well you can't actually tell who wrote what. Yeah. Right. And like to some extent that's completely not true. There was no way anyone other than Greg Rucko was writing the Rooney Montoya stuff. Yeah. But um yeah. you know, it it's but you're right, there there was some an element of playing playing nets to each other and playing with each other. Right. Um I I, I so I, like I said, I was reading the Ron Mars Ion series. Yes. Which uh, I had forgotten, because I read it at the time, I had forgotten, like, gets maybe seven issues in. It's a 12-issue series. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's advertised from the start as 12 issues. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not like, you know, they they completely yoinked the, the, um, the book from under them. Mm-hmm. Gets maybe seven issues in. And it's clearly a... Setting up the status quo of this character going forward, right? The first six issues are like, here's him getting him back on his feet. And then seventh issue is, he's back on Earth and he's re, like, he's putting all his life back in order. Right. And then the book gets lit, like, he clearly gets a note from an editor. Right. Who's like, okay, but this is what you've got to do. Mm-hmm. And you don't even get to explain it in your book. Wow. And the remainder of the series is setting up where Kyle Rayner goes in the Sinestro Corps War storyline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the point where, like, the last issue comes from out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And it's like, keep reading Green Lantern, see what happens next. Oof. And it was just, like, it, it was one of the most obvious, the book is going in direction A, and then he gets a note going, no, no, you're not doing direction A anymore. Right. You're actually doing direction B, mm-hmm. and he's like, "I." But direction B makes no sense, and like, it doesn't matter, right? Like, like Jeff Johns owns Green Lantern now, and and so he's decided he wants to use Kyle. So you've just got to do this, mm-hmm. like you've just got to. This is just the direction you've got to go into. Like the Ion series exists to set up Kyle Rayner as like he's not Green Lantern anymore, right? He is now the like the he's basically like Uber Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. He's. Like, he has the power, but he doesn't need a ring, and he's the personification of the power. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ends with, like, his mother dying of a virus that no one can cure her of. <laughs> and he's just like, oh, I'm so sad. Because I'm sad, I'm going into space and leaving everything alone again. Mm. And it's all to set up in the – because I was like, this is so weird. I've got to read the, the Green Lantern issues from the same time see if they even explain it. Right. And they do. Do they? Like – the Green Lantern issues are like we killed your mother. Sinestro killed your mother with an like a sentient virus, which why they couldn't cause it. And by the way, you're not the personification of the Green Lantern power. That's a lie. Mm. Like you're you're this instead. And it's just it's wacky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jeff Johnson, like one issue, just be like, nah, fuck that. <laughs> right, right. Which is which is which is weird, right? It's a it's a it's a. I mean, apart from. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a strange, you know, there's there's a lot of ways in which I think you know we talked about the 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 
um, effects of Dan DiDio leaving DC. And one of the things that is very, um, you know, had started to creep in was DiDio's sort of micromanaging, like, you're going this way. No, in fact, you're going the other way. You know, like, we set up this thing. You're you're going to deliver this story beat. Oh, no, wait, I got impatient and I dropped that six months early. So now you have to do something else. Yeah. You know, and I, it'd be curious to see if that was John's being like, yeah, no, fuck you. Like, I get to do everything with all the Green Lanterns because I'm Green Lantern guy. Or, you know, again, it was just... Who who knows? Like I I really am fascinated. Like part of me really would like to see who came up with what in a way because I do think that that one of the things that I put down Infinite Crisis being a little more suspicious of were the parts where I'm like oh that that's like Dio's hand in things you know like I I remember when people were raking. Chuck Austin over the coals for his widely reviled work on uh, X-Men. And it more or less, he, he didn't say it. I don't remember how it came up or about, but somebody was like, he's just writing what the editors are telling him to write. He has to try and make sense of the X-Men editors being like, no, 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 bring, bring back Zorn, but make him the real Zorn. Like have the, that Grant Morrison Zorn, that would make that uh, the fake Zorn. And why don't you do Romeo and Juliet and give Angel like sort of a horny nurse storyline? You know what I mean? And I mean, I think that the horny nurse storyline really was Chuck Austin's knowing the rest of his work, but you know, like there's, there's a lot that happens behind the scenes where the editors are like, okay, you need to hit this beat, this beat, and this beat. Like, you know, hearing Brad Meltzer talk in his, you know, at length in his introduction to uh, the collected identity crisis about how the idea came to him for it. And then, you know, hearing behind the scenes scuttlebutt of the, yeah, you know, so, you know, Dio wanted this storyline with this and this and this and this and, and kind of that, you know, Metzer, who says like this whole story came up and he probably did take the whole brain wipe thing from JLA as a thing that he thought was cool. There's a lot more of that kind of, yes, I got a choice of three characters that I got to choose, one of whom could have raped one of these three characters. And then that would have led to the death of one of these three characters in one of these three primary DC locations. Like there might be a little more mad libbing going on than than we would like to think. And it was weird watching Infinite Crisis, which clearly has stuff where Johns is trying to talk about stuff that Johns is interested in. And yet there's also shit that is um, well, what the deal wants. Yeah, there's shit that's in there that's like quote unquote world building, but world building if world building actually means setting up like the universe. Right. Setting setting up the line, not even more than the universe, you know? Right. Well, but I mean even to that extent, like there's there are four there were four series that lead into Infinite Crisis. Johns does his due diligence in having sort of those moments. 
But he also kind of doesn't give a shit about them. Like you've got, you know, the entire lead in of the OMAC project with OMAC and Brother I being like a pretty big fucking deal. And then it moves into Infinite Crisis and they're just kind of blobs in the background, you know, until it's time for Batman to have his emotional beat with them. Or the War on Magic, which is very much kind of, uh, yeah, and here's the characters. Yeah, yeah, you know. It's funny that there is so much – you know, there were the four series that were leading into Infinite Crisis. And honestly, none of them really play into the central conflicts of That's Infinite right. Crisis. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and you can see the joints, for want of a better way of putting it. Yeah, absolutely. The the whole Rand Thanagar war thing has a bunch of characters in space being like, oh, we're in space. Holy shit. And then three issues later, oh, shit. Oh, what's that big hand? And then an issue after that, oh, let's – shoot the big hand woo you know and it's just like that was your this is your wrap up to that i mean i don't know i didn't i gotta admit out of the four storylines that led into infinite crisis i think i read two of them like what was is ranthanagar war uh, uh, there was ranthanagar war there was villains united oh which right was essentially the legion of doom story slash what became gilsman secret six right there was oh my project and there was whatever the magic story yeah whatever the war the magic war was called or whatever yeah 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 yeah. right so right well okay so villains united is a thing right so i read two of those and yeah the villains united thing by the time it you know because it is gail simone's setup for the secret six like none of those characters are in infinite crisis you know so anyway but but the the like legion of doom are right well but the Legion so, of Doom so was get, the smallest point, sort of. Anyway, but yes, right, right, right. You know, it's, so it's, so all of them are kind of faints. Right. I mean, honestly, the one that is least of a faint is the Omark Project. And well, even that, like, Omarks are, are background noise in Infinite Crisis. Right, right. Well, or, or for that matter, there's the... Um, you know, there's the setup for this. There's more setup for the status quo of the Spectre, you know, yes. than yeah. there is for any sort of real sense of because you've got like a double page spread where, um, you know, Rock of Eternity explodes and you see the Seven Sins running around and Captain Marvel's like, oh, I'm fucked. And, you know, Spectre has killed Shazam. Uh, and that just. Like, okay. Like, literally, that's it. Like, the the rest of it is all the Spectre stuff, which is way more of a... Yeah, good job, Gotham Central. We've got it from here, essentially, you know? Yeah. So, um, so it kind of is... It was... It was... I kind of feel like... Would you say, Graham, and this is perhaps unfair, but would you say that Greg Rucka gets done the dirtiest... By yes. Infinity yes. War? Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Very clearly, yes. Yeah. And, like, publicly said that, like, he didn't plan on leaving Wonder Woman. Mm. And, but, like, it also fucks over Gotham Central really yes. badly. Oh, completely. Gotham Central ends up ending pretty much as a result. And, yeah, it fucks that. It fucks his Wonder Woman run. Um, I feel like it fucks... I mean, it utterly, it utterly fucks his Wonder Woman Yeah, run. completely. Completely. Uh, which I thought, so I was kind of like, oof, wow. If Fox's Wonder Woman runs so much that, and maybe you don't know this, he basically gets to wrap up some of the plot lines 
years later in the Blackest Night Wonder Woman miniseries. Oh, wow. No, I did not know that. I thought, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Wow. Which is also in this universe, so you, you can go and can go and read that. Well, I, I mean, honestly, yeah, like it, yeah. it utterly, it utterly fucks one Roman run. Yeah, yeah. And like astonishingly, he doesn't basically get to finish any of his stories. Right. Which is really, I mean, I mean, it's kind of astonishing if you think about it, especially because he is, in theory, one of the architects of this. No, well, I mean, that's it. He's writing the OMAC project. He co-writes the the countdown to special yeah he co-writes 52 afterwards and he comes out writing 52 exactly and so i mean talk about like the very definition of the good soldier and yet he just gets fucked really hard by the status quo and again there's also kind of a weird um i i it's um it's What's interesting to me is is that, of course, I do feel that the Batman stuff is probably the most, quote-unquote, earned, you know, in the sense of, yeah, he's a paranoid mess, and you kind of see all the other stuff, and it's very much kind of, this is sort of how Batman has been characterized in a lot of ways, certainly post-Morrison on JLA, and et cetera, et cetera. But both, again... Superman, who I think didn't wasn't Rucka also writing Superman yes, leading up to this. He was this? writing a he was writing a Superman book leading up to this as well. Right. Yeah. So so you've got the big Trinity of which Rucka's writing two of the three characters. Although you know not, not all of Superman. Three, that's fine. Is he also writing Detective? Because I'm fairly sure there was a point where he was writing Detective and Adventures of Superman and Wonder Woman. He, I don't think they were at the same time. Although I could be wrong because he i i want to say i might i mean i might be wrong he might have gone off to take the earlier well so right because i'm like it's it's brubaker on batman is it brubaker oh, and on, then we just i can literally just look on dc universe right now to check Loeb and lee's hush and then because it's all the red hood stuff ends up leading into into Infinite Crisis and the whole one year later shit, I think. Got to remember That's, who's writing it. If it does, then... Who's in Yeah, if it does, then, then Rucka's off. Yeah, see, if, Rucka... Because yeah. Rucka left Batman to go... Uh, rather, Brubaker left Batman to take over Detective from Rucka for like six issues. Oh, right. Wow, really? Only six issues? Yeah. Only Ooh. six. Uh, maybe, I mean, it might be like seven or eight, but it's wow. not long. It's, wow. it's very short. Right, right. Yeah, so... So, yeah, there's just... There's just yeah, Rucka gets because not only is he writing two of the characters at that particular point, but again, the series more or less goes out of the way to talk about how those characters are, you know, are broken. Yeah, broken, like broken and off-brand models of themselves. Like they're just in in, in quote unquote. But I, someone's defense, I'm not sure who. Like Rucka has purposely set those things up, though, right? Like Rucker wrote the Wonder Woman killing Max Lord issue, well, so he's he's aware of what he's doing yes. as far as the off model, right? Let's see. So Rucker is off Detective by October two thousand two. So yeah, he's, yeah, he's it's off, years he's before, years. right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I think he's on Adventures of Superman or Superman. I don't remember which. And he is. Um, 
he's on Wonder Woman. But again, in that first issue, it's it's not just it starts off one of the things that's kind of interesting about the first issue, apart from how weirdly it's paced, because John's cuts back and forth between um, the internal fight between Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman and a big mega fight with um, Uncle Sam and the Freedom Fighters getting their asses yeah. kicked by the Secret Society. And what's amazing is how little, um, like, you just feel like Johns wrote the two scenes and then sort of more or less chopped them up at random. It's weird how little uh, momentum oh, okay. there are between the two scenes, you know? Here's the thing that I have I've legitimately thought about this for a long time. Oh, good. Before Infinite Crisis came out, mm -hmm. there was a preview of Infinite Crisis issue one in Wizard magazine. Mm. And it's different from the final version of the issue. Really? Hmm. Yeah, the dialogue's different. The art's all the same, but the dialogue's different. And I want to say the page order was different. See, and that's what it reads like. It really reads like they 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 changed around the page order to kind of do a point counterpoint kind of thing. But do you remember how the dialogue's different? I don't. I remember. I remember that when I saw the final issue, I was like, maybe they changed the dialogue for the preview because it kept things secret. Mm. Like oh, it I kept see. points secret, so right. it might have been. But I mean, at the same time. Again, another Wizard preview. There was a Wizard preview of All-Star Superman for a game out, which has different art. Really? Wow. Yeah. Superman, Superman symbol was different, and the cape was a different size. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. And the dialogue was slightly different. There's, like, a couple of captions that are different. Yeah. Oh. Hmm. It's really weird, this, this like, in-process stuff. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, anyway, so uh, it is... As the argument between Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman goes on, it gets a little more personal. So it starts with, Diana, what the hell are you doing? Everyone's afraid of um, us because you killed Maxwell Lord. And she was like, I was just doing what I have to do. But there's a later panel, sort of in the same way that like Superman, you know, Batman's like, you haven't been interesting since you were dead. And then they turn around and turn to Wonder Woman and be like... You should be just getting tied up and getting spanked instead of acting. It's not that, but you know, it's not that at all. I mean, no, no, it's, it's actually that. It's exactly <laughs> that. Everyone who's not read Infinite Crisis, that's actually it's, what happens. It's one of the better, better Batman burns, a bat burn. So, my goodness, um, it has never been uh, a more exciting time to talk about a 14 year old limited uh, series event. Um, than this week where nothing has wait, happened wait, wait, in no, comics no, news. No, but, but you did not mention your Notting Hill theory. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, be, come on. Uh, okay, well, I think I think hopefully it's widely understood and accepted that uh, Richard Curtis is a horrifying human being. And he is, as you know, the um, wrote, Notting Hill, he it, weirdly, thanks to the miracle of shelter in place, I did something damaging to my skull where Edie and I watched yesterday the Richard Curtis uh, <laughs> written I, movie. I, I've got to tell you, Jeff, I have come so close to watching that. And every time I stop myself going, there's there's literally there's no reason I should do this. They're like, I don't care how how like bored or weird i'm feeling <laughs> right well 
As you know, as we talked about previously, I uh, watched Avenue 5, where uh, Hamish Patel pops up and plays a stand-up comedian who's bombing in space. And I really enjoyed him. And I'm like, oh, and that's the dude who actually is the star of yesterday. And I'm like, I like him. I like him. And and I and I I admit to having uh, as time goes on, hate watching uh, uh, Richard Curtis movies um, like the first couple I got snookered into. And then I, so I was like, OK, this is going to be bad. I think I told you I went through a period where I was hate watching across the universe like there's something Uh-oh. about yes. movies about the Beatles where the Beatles are not themselves involved that lends themselves to hate watching. I've never watched as we've as I've admitted to you to your dismay the disco Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band starring Peter Frampton and the Bee Gees, but I've always wanted to because I'm convinced that I will hate that almost as much. Oh, I think in a weird way, like it'll make you so happy. How much you dislike it? Yeah, well, see, that's kind of how I felt about Across the Universe. I literally would put it on and try and trick Edie into watching it, just because there's there's so many points that are as as the kids say, pure cringe. Um, but yesterday is within the scope. I want to say within the scope of of the Richard Curtis oeuvre, not as hateful, but Richard Curtis is a strangely huge figure in English slash British entertainment. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's he's massive. He's like, yeah, he's, he's weirdly uh, as much as anything. Like he he like he wrote Black Adder. He wrote shit something else that Mr. Bean. Black Adder yeah, and but, Mr. Bean. Yeah, honestly, for some reason, like Mr. Bean is so off my radar. I hate Mr. Bean. Well, of course you do, because it's Richard Simon. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, Richard Curtis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Richard yeah. Simon. I don't know. I keep you wanting to call him Richard Simon. Simon. <laughs> Richard Curtis, weirdly, is not sticking in my head. I've had. But, I've... but like, you know, he wrote for Wednesday Funeral and all that. But yeah. also, he's one of the guys behind uh, Comic Relief in the UK. Oh, he's huge. Yeah, his whole yeah. red nose and. No, 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 no. Absolutely. And Four Weddings and a Funeral are parts that I enjoy. And honestly, Notting Hill is fascinating to me because I'd never seen it. We watched yesterday. And so yesterday does a lot of things that should put it, uh, make it be put on trial for war crimes. Not least of which is making Robert Carlyle play John Lennon. But I would say that overall it is, it's not, it, it doesn't have the usual Curtis nightmare which is that richard curtis is absolutely unable to view women as anything other than objects yeah, but yeah. ah you've seen love actually then. oh yeah no exactly love actually is is the prime offender love actually is i i saw that and was like it is it is such an absolutely enormously hideous movie yes so, graham i gotta tell you great story one that i probably shouldn't tell Edie and I um, went. We her her mom lives uh, in Reno, and once or twice a year, sometimes more, we would go up and visit her mom. But for various reasons, in part because hey, it's Reno, we would always end up staying in a hotel and doing all sorts of fun hotel things. Like, you know, I could tell you about all my favorite meals and whatever. I will say that we were there, and Edie saw that love actually 
was playing on it was on the hotel pay-per-view and she's like i want to get drunk order a cheeseburger from room service and watch love actually and i'm like that sounds great you know you you go girl and it is one of one of my most tender and valued memories of my wife is her more or less falling asleep with her hand half in her cheeseburger and fries snoring while love actually drones on in the background she's great but i'm watching the movie and i'm horrified i'm like thank god she actually drank and put herself in a cheeseburger induced coma so she doesn't have to see this she then went on to see the movie later which breaks the spell but one of my most tender memories of my wife is mixed with the horrifying cinematic experience of somebody making a romantic comedy without a without an even iota of of what love means like it's love actually is creepy anyway yes actually is creepy on so many levels so love many actually levels. Is a film that like i remember having uh nostalgia is far too strong but yeah. you know being like it wasn't that bad like i'd watch that again right and then seeing it again mm-hmm. like in the last couple of years and just being floored by it mm-hmm. just be like this is is i mean hateful is too strong but no but it's is, so this, close this, it's like, vile. It's a yeah, genuinely this, vile movie. This is a movie. film that is like really kind of disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. For people who haven't seen it, I'm sure you must have. It's a series of interconnected stories in which um, the a bunch of men go through story. Richard, Richard Curtis's midlife crisis in a number of different ways. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess. I personally think that what <laughs> it is, is is that they go through Richard Richard Curtis. Okay. So anyway. So uh, Love Actually, the the part of Love Actually that is perhaps most germane to the story of Notting Hill and Four Weddings and a Funeral is, of course, uh, Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant, of course, also pops up in a few other Curtis joints, but I think this is sort of primary. Four Weddings and a Funeral is is a romantic comedy that uh, I pray to God holds up, like – Notting Hill, romantic comedy from '99, and then Love Actually, uh, one of the one of the love interludes vignettes is Hugh Grant playing the uh, the Prime Minister of England, and and more or less through the power of love is able to tell the U.S. to go fuck off. So he's a very thinly veiled, um, fa- sort of fantasy of Tony Blair. But more to the point, it's Hugh Grant is a is in Curtis movies, a fantasy figure of Britishness. And it gets no more so strongly than Notting Hill, where in Richard Grant playing a charmingly rumpled uh, owner of a failing travel bookstore company manages to bewitch the famous film star Anna Scott, played by Julia Roberts, and... They have a sort of tumultuous, charming love affair kind of thing. The thing that's crazy about Notting Hill... Oh, so... But just as Hugh Grant more or less plays the wish fulfillment of um, what everyone wanted from Tony Blair and did not get in the wake of 9-11, Hugh Grant is essentially the quintessential 
English guy, which is to say he is self-effacing, completely restrained and polite, possessed of a devilish wit, seems unaware of his own charms, uh, and more or less manages to beguile a movie star because he is the only one in the movie who is too polite or or rather is um is so understated that he is able to profess his admiration for her in a way that seems um sophisticated and charming as opposed to the everyone else in the movie who literally just stumbles over themselves and make shrip, shrieking gibbering noises like some sort of you know um uh, uh amphetamine fueled dolphins um so the thing about Notting Hill that is that I found cuz I was like huh this is kind of interesting because it's sort of it moves the objectification that happens in Notting Hill where for two thirds of the movie Julia Roberts is in no way a person whatsoever, but is merely an object to be ogled and courted, which really then becomes the the raisin dentures of uh, Love Actually, where I think, as I recall, only Laura Linney is more or less seen as having some sort of she, she's the Yeah. No, there's, there's Emma Thompson as well. Laura oh, Linney yeah, and Emma right. Thompson are the only women in the film who have inner lives. Right, who have inner lives, and of course those inner lives are both about being devoted to a man and being disappointed. In in Laura Linney's case, her uh, her, her uh, mentally ill brother, and in Emma Thompson's case, um, old uh, Alan, uh, I was going to say prolificate, but what's that word? Yeah, philandering husband, Alan Rickman. So, yes. Um, but everyone else, like there are scenes with like Kira Knightley, and I think the worst scene, of course, is Liam Neeson plays uh, has scenes oh, the with the grieving his father, son, the grieving yeah. father who literally uh, talks about how much he misses his wife who has departed to his young son, and his young son wants to set him up with a woman th- that can, you know, so that his dad can be happy. His dad, however, like every other man in Love Actually, is such a horrifying misogynist. He has absolutely no interest in women in anything other than their physical characteristics and so ultimately gets set up with uh, Claudia Schiffer, who I think is mentioned as being his ideal woman because she looks like Claudia Schiffer. And it says something about Love Actually, that he actually gets the happy ending and that he gets her despite having... And let's not even talk about the Walking Dead, Kira Knightley thing. It's just, it's all oh, just no, no, creepy. No. Let, let's not talk about the English guy who just wants to get fucked and goes to America where every every woman falls for his accent. Yes. And just so happened to like... And it's it's... Uh, one of them is 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 Betty uh, Draper from from Mad Men. Oh wow, really? Oh, yeah, I don't even remember that. Um, Jesus. Uh, well, again, I saw this film like last year, like really recently, and I was like, shit, it's Betty Draper. And there's there's uh, there, like she wasn't the famous one at the time. The, the, mm-hmm. There's also uh, the the woman who I still think of as the daughter from Twenty Four, and I can't remember her name for the life of me. Oh yeah, um, Ilsa Cuthbert yeah, or something. It's her, Ilsa. and it's. It's the daughter. It's a Betty Draper right. from Mad Men, and it's someone else. But they're like, 
oh, we just love your accent. And the entire joke is like in Britain, he's like ugly and hopeless, but right. then he gets to America and they love his accent so much. But they're like, oh, and just wait till you see like our horny friends and we all happen to just like sleep together and we don't have any clothes. And it's like, that is the, that is honestly the one where I'm like, this is offensive on maybe every single level that it was possibly conceived oh, of. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the <laughs> whole thing really is. It's just so so yeah curtis is basically the whole thing of he's got this view that men have a desire and that desire is to truly love and women have a desire and that desire is to truly be loved but men can only love based on appearances I mean, not entirely, because, of course, Hugh Grant falls for his secretary, who everyone you talks say, about how she's that, so relentlessly like, chubby. Well, she's not. I mean, that's the thing. Say, like, everyone she's not, talks, like, she's yeah. not ridiculously attractive. <laughs> no, she is attractive. But this is, I mean, this is the insane part of, I mean, of all the various insane Love Actually things, is the fact that she is only maybe, like, six pounds overweight or something, and Every single fucking person in the movie talks about her like she deserves to die a painful death and cannot be expected to live because she is so hideously obese. I mean, it's horrifying. It's And, of course, it's always played in that sort of weird – there's a weird we're not laughing at you, we're laughing with you thing, which I think yeah, is – general direction yeah the, the there's very much the richard curtis so notting hill has that where where in sort of a um revamp of four weddings and a funeral uh hugh grant has a circle of close friends that he's known since uni or before and they're all sort of quote unquote failures the 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 he brings Julia Roberts to his sister's birthday dinner and where all of his charming friends, of course, all fall all over Julia Roberts acting like complete idiots. And then later as they're talking, talk about how their enormous failures in their lives and lay it all out. And she gets to talk about how she is, you know, essentially a failure and going to fail. And um, it, it, what's crazy about, about all of those things is the weird way in which all of them quote unquote fail is so like they're all successful so it's 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 again it's that weird kind of english british thing and again the to the extent that curtis has a a message i think in some of the movies that i've seen it's essentially the thing that the brits most love about themselves which is their their um a charming self-effacing humbleness that allows them to not let things um go to their head and thus um remain devastatingly sophisticated and clever is also the key to their greatest downfall which is that they are entirely too humble and if they were just to take this the 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 uh, bosomly objects called women um the women themselves would of course love it now the thing so the Notting hill thing is part of what obsesses me and the mind-blowing theory that i came up with is 
there's a number of things that are weird. First off, Julia Roberts is an actress, a world famous actress, and her name is Anna Scott, which is the one of the worst names in the world. Now, keep in mind that at one point, at several points when Hugh Grant and her break up, he gets set up with other characters, and those characters literally don't have names in the screenplay. At one point, Emily Mortimer shows up and is very charming and, and winsome, and as Hugh Grant describes her, perfect. What do you think uh, Richard Curtis called that woman in the screenplay? Wait, how do you know what they're called in the screen? Have you looked this up? On IMDb, I did. She's called Perfect Woman. She's called Perfect Woman. <laughs> That's her name. Because Richard Curtis used up all of his hard-earned mental capacity coming up with the name Anna Scott and couldn't get any more original than that. And so, therefore, just start slapping tags on there. Oh, Yesterday, Like Notting Hill does have the other Curtis staple, which is the utterly oblivious dolt who is the best friend sidekick who basically just gets to say lots of funny things and obliviously like, you know, um, picks his butt, you know, Reese Ifans, yeah. for example, in Notting Hill. And, uh, there's a character named Rocky in yesterday who is a, a mere shadow of the sort of git that, uh, that, that Ifans is in, uh, in Notting Hill. Okay. But the thing that's truly weird is Notting Hill came out in 1999 and has a lot in common with a movie that I need to just double check actually did come out in 1999 because it probably came out in 1998 and screws up my theory. So one second while I type this in. Grab. I'm excited for this. It is 1999. That's right. Notting Hill is actually the British counterpart to a movie that is more or less its identical in every name in every other respect which is to say fight club because <laughs> notting hill so there's a character in uh notting hill notting you know hugh grant owns a bookstore a failing travel bookstore and he has one employee a character uh named martin played by james dreyfus now Martin is, one would say, uh, if Hugh Grant is the perfect British person, English guy, Martin is actually the real British guy. He's also self-effacing, but he genuinely embarrasses himself in front of Julia Roberts' character. He works in the bookstore. He's dressed... Um, sloppily sort of the way that hugh grant is supposed to represent sloppy but hugh grant of course is not hugh grant wears yeah, hugh his grant, shirts down grant. to his right exactly he wears his his shirts are practically open down to his belly button his hair is quote unquote floppy which people tease him about but of course looks perfect there's one point where he's walking where his his shirt is semi untucked out of his belt but in the most perfectly designed way by contrast uh you know um 
Martin is of the ugly jumper school and he wears like an uh, unflattering tie and his hair is disheveled. And as I said, when he meets uh, Julia Roberts, just as Hugh Grant does, he makes some comments with her and ends up embarrassing himself. But he actually really does embarrass himself and then more or less goes on to say, well, I'm a stupid twat, aren't I? (laughs) And then, you know, fucks off to the back as he does. Yeah. That character, with the exception that of the wedding, that character is the real character. It is the or... real character. He never appears outside the bookstore. So Hugh Grant and him are the only two characters that ever interact in the movie. He doesn't interact with anyone else except Julia Roberts' character. He is the real British person, and Hugh Grant is the Tyler Durden esque personification of everything that he wants to be he is the epitome of of english masculinity run rampant and similarly anna scott doesn't really exist because of course you would never have an actress like that and also she's played by julia roberts who as we all know now is not a real person so it all comes together in this perfect melange, Notting Hill is a movie that exists entirely inside the mind of a divided soul who splays out his neuroses about being a British man into a semi-psychotic fantasy in which Hugh Grant is ritually humiliated for two and a half hours, or sorry, 97 minutes, and then of course, is rewarded with that by being able to impregnate uh, Julia Roberts and read a okay. book. Okay, okay. Uh, not that I'm not entertained by this. How does this tie in with Infinite Crisis? Hmm? Who said anything about Infinite Crisis? Fight Club, Graham. Fight Club, weren't you listening? <laughs> Sorry, I genuinely thought that this tied into Infinite Crisis. Mm. And that it does not just makes me all the happier <laughs> No, 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 no. I, I said that, that my weird theories about Infinite Crisis were nothing compared to the weird theories that I had about Notting Hill. That makes me so much happier. I can't tell you. <laughs> You're just like, oh, yeah, God, I'm like, not I looking forward to for this coming back. The entire time to type <laughs> Crisis. And knowing that I was mistaken and there, there's literally no connection makes me even happier we went down this cul-de-sac of ideas. <laughs> well... Thank you, Graham. I appreciate I appreciate the I appreciate your um, appreciation of the cul-de-sac uh, that is my brain. Anyway, Notting Hill. So glad to get that off my chest. Weird, weird that it is some strange simultaneous remake of Fight Club. I can't wait to show the two of them as a double feature to someone. Perhaps you. Perhaps soon. Oh my God. The, okay, if this uh, crazy situation we're still in is ongoing. And like it gets to like June or July, right? And we're still trapped indoors. Wait, what movie night? Oh my god, that would, would be all, great! Like watch a movie at the same time. That would be and, fabulous, and wouldn't it? Provide commentary. I am in. Okay, I am so in. All right, all right. Well, please tell me if I'm alone in this, or if this is in fact an amazing idea. Yeah, I think the thing that would be hard would be synchronizing our watches with everyone in all the various timelines but i'm looking forward to trying so right we'd all try yeah we'd all try we'd all try and let's face it that is an ideal double feature but i'm sure i can come up with 
some something else. So, Graham, I think my understanding is is that there was some comic news worth discussing, especially yeah, considering the strange this limbo. Like, mm-hmm. This was a fucking weird week for comics news. Yes, I'm going to tell you the four big stories of the the, the week. Yes, and you can tell me which ones you want to talk about and in what order. Okay, one. Nine days after closing, Diamond says it has cash flow problems and isn't able to pay vendors. Nine days yeah. after closing. Yep. Nine days yep. after closing. Two, Comic Hub is announced as the savior <laughs> of the comics industry. Oh, right. Which is like genuinely an absolutely nuts two days of my week, yeah. I have to tell you. I'm sure. Number three. Marvel Comics has paused 15 to 20% of its titles, right? which affects a third of its line. Yeah. Four. Yes, four. Yes, I'm hoping. DC Comics gave a quarter of a million dollars uh, to re- in retailers to financial support. Oh, wow. Whoa. That's, that's, okay. A of a million dollars. So how is that set up? Because I got to admit, I did they, not given see it that to the, They've given it to the Bink Fund. Which is the the um, organization that's also behind the Forge Fund, mm-hmm. uh, which is basically a a, a financial um, service, a financial uh, body, which is going to be in charge of grants to retailers. I see. Well, that's that is a that is good news. We should mention topic four B because um, when you and I last spoke. DC mm-hmm. had a oh, moment. I hadn't said anything about digital comics. That's and right. then they did. I complete that was the speaker's well, and I completely fucking yeah. forgot about it. Yep. Yep. What what happened was DC originally said in a retailer on a message board that they were going to publish digital. Oh, no, that's true. That's true. That's, that's right. what happened. Yep. Yeah. That they they said it and Marvel still had not weighed in and it was assumed that and now which one of them did I assume Marvel said they weren't going to publish, and then DC. Marvel, like, Marvel, Mar- yeah. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, Marvel said they weren't going to after DC had blinked. Oh, so DC did fully blink. DC blinked first. Okay, all right, that's good. I'm kind of glad to hear that. So, um, not least of which because my suspicions were not knowing the timing that Marvel basically played chicken with DC saw what DC decided to do, saw the reaction and decided to go the opposite way. So Yeah, no, that's not what happened. Of course. Um no, but I think DC blinked first. And to be fair, DC never actually said it was going to release all of its stuff digitally. They just said they're going to release digital comics. And they did release digital comics. Sure. They're digital first, first and their and collections. collections. Yeah. Yes. Right. Right. Um, and I know from having heard from someone from DC, they were basically like, we never said we were going to release everything digitally. People just assumed. Oh, because they said things that, like, we're going to release digitally. Yeah. Well, that's just it. How yeah. much of that is, mm-hmm. you know, after the fact covering their ass? Yeah. Versus, like, actually legitimately, like, they weren't going to do it. I have no idea. Right. Right. Um, but no, yes. DC, announced, DC announced first. And I know this because I didn't see DC back down. But someone in my Twitter comment um, after I announced the Marvel thing, which I, like, put up on Twitter mm-hmm. as soon as I woke up that morning and saw it, um, was like, after, like, 
DC backing DC backed down last night as well, and I was like, oh shit, okay. So yeah, DC did back down first, okay, or That's back down know. or clarify or whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, whatever happened, but um, yeah. So uh, the current state of play for digital is no one is publishing anything other than collected editions, mm-hmm. which are also available in print because they are have distributors that aren't diamond. diamond. Yeah, exactly. Um, and DC is doing digital first. Archie also put some stuff out digitally this week, but apparently it's because subscriber copies has also gone out. Mm. Like mm-hmm. basically, they were like, "Well, the print ones are out, so we might as well, you know, put some stuff out as well." Right. Right. Um, but yeah, that's that's where that's where everything stands with that. Okay. But oh, yeah, DC gave uh, a quarter of a million dollars <laughs> to uh, to a retailer fund yesterday. That's great. Just yesterday, then. Just yesterday, like yesterday night. It happened mm. like after I finished work yesterday night. I, oh, okay. I, I don't see many people talking about it. No, I think it seemed to fly under the radar. Not that I spent, I guess, uh, yeah, I was mostly off Twitter. I was on Twitter intermittently today, but I did not see any mention of that at all. So, Yeah, it's nuts, um, but but they did. Well, good good uh, on them. Good on quarter them. Million, which, to be fair, is a lot of money. It is. It is absolutely <laughs> a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, good for them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So so that's the DC news covered. Right. Uh, Diamond. Like I'm not the only one thinking if Diamond has cash flow problems nine days after, there's a lot more problems than COVID, right? Oh yes. No, absolutely. Well, I mean, the there's there's two options. One, Diamond had more problems, uh, like you said before COVID. Two. Like we're finding out from a lot of companies, um, as as someone uh, wisely put it on, you know, Twitter, individual people kept getting shamed for not saving enough money for emergencies and expenses and rainy day funds. And now it's turned out that essentially just about every single American corporation was just like them and has been caught yes. completely short-footed. Caught basically yeah. being like, we have no fucking money. Yeah, exactly. I honestly had a, my personal feeling was that Diamond, and admittedly, I feel like Steve Steve Getby has managed to put himself into financial um, straits before. Not so much with Diamond, but didn't he have a problem where his he had to like downsize his museum and more or less mm-hmm. didn't need like one of his other ventures had to declare bankruptcy or something like that. Or am I just imagining those things? No, I, I, I think you're right. Cause that sounds familiar to me. Yeah. I, although, like I have no details. So maybe both of us are just simultaneously misremembering something. Right. Exactly. But so I'm not entirely surprised, but if it was not, there's part of me that if it were just about anyone else, um, I would be like that they more or less was like, you know what? This is the end of the direct market. Like just close up shop. Now we're going to stop paying vendors. We're all going to basically divvy up the pie. It's more like declaring bankruptcy without having to declare bankruptcy because we're just transferring everything out from underneath it. And then when we declare bankruptcy, there'll be nothing left, but that's just my cynical take based on sadly the state of affairs in trump's america today i don't i think it's more likely that diamond comics like so much of the industry that it serves 
um, more or less was over leveraged the entire time and kept doing a, but we get money every week, you know, kind of. Yeah. Thing. How, how bad can it be? Yeah, can, exactly. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden it can't. Yeah, exactly. The, the first time that it doesn't get, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, like it doesn't get a fucking weekly payment. Yes. Yep. All of a sudden. But I mean, that is, that is horrible news, of course, uh, for, um, uh, so many other vendors within the direct marketplace. Again, in theory, DC and Marvel have some deep pockets, but, you know, there's a lot of other smaller publishers that if they're not getting paid for product that they shipped and diamonds, you know, more or less sold, like that's, that is, to say nothing of I, the no, whole. No, that's, that's a disaster. Like yeah. that's, yeah. that's a real problem. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, part of me is like, I wonder if this will kill, weirdly enough, work with me, Funko. Like, you know how Funko's always also one of those companies that's been, like, crazily over-leveraged and keeps mm-hmm. trying to overly expand? Like, they they ship ridiculous amounts of product through Diamond, and if Diamond is basically going to stiff them, I don't... I don't know what kind of shape they'll be in. They're they're the the biggest that I can think of. I'm thinking more of like, you know, because realizing there's that whole section of previews I never look through that's like, you know, Star Wars, sorry, and things like that, you know, Hungry, Hungry Hippos, the Star Wars edition. Um, I just, just, ooh, Graham, that could make us some money. I don't know what what would... (laughs) What, what would you call it? Bitey, bitey banthas? I don't know. There's got to be something that... Anyway. It's, it's going to make someone some money, but it's not us. Yeah, that is story of our lives. All right. Anyway, so so yes, Diamond. I mean, that's... Again, I don't... I, people on Twitter, for the most part, like I think most of us, are basically trying to figure out how and or if they're going to survive and or ever have sex again if they're under a certain age. And I don't feel like there's been a lot of industry discussion, but maybe I'm not following the right people. Has that been followed up on, on Twitter? I would say a lot. I would say a lot of people are talking about a lot of things. Yeah. Um, the one of, yes, is the short version. I don't know okay. if people are talking about it on Twitter. There's a lot of discussion about this. Um, not on Twitter. Okay. Uh, there is a lot of justifiable concern. Of course. About yeah. the very real possibility that Diamond's going to disappear. Yeah. Because Diamond disappearing actually does kill the direct market. That's right. Maybe only in the short term, but it does. Right. Diamond is the direct market. That's right. If Diamond fails, there isn't anything else. Yeah. Um, and if the direct market goes, the majority of publishers go. Yeah. Absolutely. I saw a lot of people, a lot of people when there was conversations about, you know, do we go digital or like, what do we do? The direct market is five times the size of the digital market. Mm -hmm. Five times the size. Yeah. And again, you've got to consider the majority of digital sales are not of like Oni or Fantagraphics or or even Image. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. They're of Marvel and DC. Mm -hmm. So the direct market fucks off. Your publishers are dying. Well, there and there is an interesting 
the more the, the company has made inroads into being carried by other book distributors. So weirdly enough, Fanographics is not a company that I'm worried about nearly as much as I'm worried about, say, Boom or Dynamite. Sure. Exactly. You know? Oh, yeah. Dy- yeah. You know, Fanographics has alternates. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, Fanographics has other solutions. Right. And that is 100% not true of of uh i mean it's probably true of dynamite to be perfectly honest but it's probably not true of boom well it's, pr- it's probably it, not true true of is it true of dynamite it's not true of idw i would think for example um, uh, i strongly yeah it's probably not true of idw it's it's um but i i honestly think it is true of dynamite because i think dynamite has some weird distribution deal oh okay whereas i feel feel like both oni and maybe dark horse both have external distribution deals for whatever reason i'm like they do enough book publishing that they can basically be fine but i you know what the hell do i know you know like it's but but yeah and there's a huge amazingly enough it's a kind of a huge cock punch to marvel who has spent well upon two decades ignoring making any road inroads into the book marketplace whatsoever and yeah more or less doubles down on taking all of its as the huge chunk of its money in short-term earnings through the direct marketplace yeah it's it's going to be i mean it's going to be a i i can't i honestly can't imagine diamond going down purely because it's it is like it's the unthinkable it's It's, the classic too big to fail yeah it is Mm -hmm. right Mm because because what the fuck happens then? Right. You know? Now, interestingly enough, I feel like this came out this week. Um, and maybe you covered it, and I'm sure I'm also wrong. But way back when there was in, uh, as we covered in the last episode, when Heroes World, Marvel bought Heroes World and began the domino chain that, that brought down all of the other distributors and left Diamond a monopoly, DC, in signing with Diamond, had a clause in its contract that it could op- exercise gone. the option. No, I know. I, I do know that it's gone. But I think that it's interesting that it came up. Didn't it? Wasn't that just sort of talked about this week that people were yes. like, yeah, that clause is gone. And then I feel like a day later, Diamond's like, yeah, and we're not paying anyone anymore. Cause uh, we're it was, it was backwards. It, the Diamond's not paying came up before the. Ah, and then people it. were like, oh, well, can DC just buy Diamond? And they're like, no, that clause is long gone. That, yeah, that clause is, is disappeared. Yeah, right. OK, good to know. Which, you know, fuck again. <laughs> right. Seriously. Part of me is like, oh, you know, DCs should lay out another quarter of a million dollars and and buy up Diamond and then have Marvel sue them for a monopoly. I don't know, Graham. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's just crazy fucking news. It's crazy fucking news. And as you said, like nine days in. huh? So that's. Yeah, that's really not good. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's following this comic hop comes about. Right. Now, I first hear about comic hop like the day before it breaks. Mm hmm. I never hear about it because a lot of people are like, what's everyone talking about? I'm like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> are people talking about things? And they're like, yeah, lots of people are talking about something big happening tomorrow. And so eventually I track it down and someone's like, Comic Hub is going to announce a distribution 
I'd like a, a new distribution model. Right. And it's going to allow people to buy print books but get a digital book immediately. Right. And I'm like, there are lots of questions I have. And they're like, oh, just wait. <laughs> it's going to be announced by insert name of mainstream media outlet. Right. Right. And I'm like, oh, that's a big fucking deal. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, this is how serious they are. Cut to next day and insert name of a big mainstream media outlet here has not reported it. Mm-hmm. But Rich Johnson has. Mm. And he's called it the savior of the direct market. Oof. And in doing so, Rich does not lay out what it does. Mm-hmm. And I go on Twitter and I'm like, wow, I wish Comic Hub had a press team because it doesn't. Wow. There is no PR team for Comic Hub at that point. Mm. And retailers are reaching out to me being like, okay, I'm kind of the press team and so is this other guy <laughs> uh, because there's no press team. Wow. And they're like, but we believe in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I have a bunch of questions. Right. And I did. I have a bunch of questions. Mm-hmm. As well you and, should. And and I got some responses to some questions. Mm-hmm. And I did not get some responses to some questions. Right. Some of them because they were like, well, that's not for me to answer. Because mm-hmm. one of them was, for example, which publishers have agreed to this? Right. And they're like, I can't. Like, that's not for, I can't say. Mm-hmm. That's for the owner of Comic Cup to say. Mm-hmm. And other ones are, I'm like, how does this not, like, completely step over existing exclusive contracts? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, you know, everyone has a diamond exclusive contract. How doesn't this step on diamond? How doesn't this step on comicsology exclusive contracts? Right. And they're like, oh, no, we're, we're ordering through diamond. This isn't a diamond replacement at all. Mm-hmm. Like, this, the, all the orders are going to go through diamond. Um, this is instead, you'll just get access to essentially a PDF of the comic when you buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, oh, well, what? How, <laughs> how, how does that work? Right. And they're like, oh, just wait. Um, and, you know, so things are a bit shaky. Right. And I, uh, sorry, I, 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 I do want to cut in because I do think maybe you will mention this at a certain point. But if I remember correctly, Comic Hub isn't necessarily a name that just flew out of nowhere. Comic Hub has been around for at least a year. And is, Comic Hub is essentially a point of sales uh, system, a uh, uh, customer relationship management system. Okay. Um, that is in a lot of stores right now. Yes. But also like has deals with like um, BookScan and stuff like that. Like it's a legitimate company. Mm-hmm. This is something that's just come out of nowhere. Right. It's a legitimate company. Yes. Right. Um, and the previous moves they made have all been good. And people like the Comic Hub system. Yes. So I just right. I, I wanted to say for people who didn't necessarily know, it's because it is it is a recognized name in the industry with a lot of goodwill that also leads it to people give this a bit more credence than just vaporware X showing up exactly and making yeah because this this is a, this is a company that people do feel good about yes right um so I keep hearing. From people who are in the note comics hub and people who aren't, and people who were like in the note various publishers, names of publishers who are involved, mm-hmm. right, and who have said yes, mm-hmm. and I'm told like you know they've definitely said yes, they're definitely on board, mm-hmm. and then those same companies are then being mentioned to me as they're not on board, Oof. um, and like it it I, that happens enough that I'm like someone's either lying mm-hmm. 
are people don't actually know what's going on. Right. The latter was true. Mm. From what I now understand, there were provisional agreements with publishers Mm -hmm. who didn't quite know how the system was going to operate. Comic Hop never checked with retailers before this. Mm -hmm. So essentially, Rich announces something that is going to save the drag market before any drag market retailers knew about it. (sighs) Before any publishers have signed on. Right. Right. And with a solution which is supposed to be launching this week, Jeff. It was oh. supposed to be launching on Wednesday. Good Lord. Right? It didn't actually exist. Wow. So to say it was a mess is an understatement. For sure. For sure. Okay? Especially because, and I'm going to be polite here, a couple of the people I'm talking to at Comic Hub are saying things that I hope they're misspeaking because if they're not, there's no way on earth any publisher would have agreed to it. Wow. Well. Right? right. Like, at all. And I can only hope that people were saying using the wrong terms for stuff. Wow. Because otherwise, like, they would get in so much fucking trouble, you cannot imagine. Holy crap. I assume this is one of those areas where I can't press you for details. I'm not going to say in the podcast. Yeah, makes they're not sense. doing anything illegal. I will say that they're not sure. doing anything illegal. Right, right, okay. Uh, but they're doing things that are dumb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you want to keep the people you need to keep on your side in order for this project to work, right, you don't do the things that they were suggesting to it. Mm. Mm. Okay, so again, nothing illegal, nothing immoral. Right, but a lot of stupid. Mm-hmm. I like honestly a lot of stupid Jeff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it like it was nuts, um, and so I keep hearing so and so's in, and then ten minutes later from another person, so and so's definitely out. Wow, right? Um, this is all happening on Wednesday, and by the end of Wednesday, I have heard three things that are quote unquote definite. Thing number one: Marvel is definitely out. Marvel says that publicly. Mm. Okay. They've not said – oh, that's not true. They've said to retailers they've not said it publicly. I see. Okay? Thing number two, Image is in, and they will be announcing on Monday. Mm. Thing number three, the official rollout is going to happen on Monday so that everyone can get their ducks in a row. Mm-hmm. Okay? Those are the official things. Thursday morning comes around, and I get a statement from Image going, we're not involved. Wow. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay, because I was told you were, and they're like, yeah, we're not. We're not. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so if Marvel's not an image, it's not. Doesn't matter who else is involved. This is dead. Mm. Like, this is not going to happen. Meanwhile, like you're seeing retailers, you know, talk about this as if like it's it's you know, how dare anyone expect us to sign on to this? This is a gateway to digital, whatever. Right. So retailers obviously aren't signing on either. Mm. Um, and then at the end of Thursday, uh, Newsarama has a piece where they've got one of the retailers doing publicity going, it's dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Obviously not launching. Mm. And I emailed the owner of Comic Hop. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that Marvel, that Monday announcement you promised me is not happening, is it? Mm. And on Friday morning, I get a response, and it's literally, there's no punctuation in this email. It's just, uh, the response just says, it would appear so. And that's wow. it. Wow. 
the existence of the savior of the direct market mm-hmm. that honestly no one had thought through. No one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If they had launched doing what they were suggesting they wanted to do, mm-hmm. uh, amongst other things, any publisher who had signed on would probably immediately pull out. Oof. Like immediately, mm-hmm. even if they had reason for signing on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oof. Ay ay ay. Um so but but your general gist is it's sort of good intentions gone awry slash things blown too much out of proportion too quickly. You know I mean my my general intent my general read on it honestly is everyone involved wanted it to work because they want it to work right right like there there really was like just so much that wasn't thought through for example in order for the digital comics in in order for their model to exist Mm -hmm. comics would have to be officially released because you're not getting digital comic for pre-ordering you're getting it for buying it when it's released right but in order for it to buy it when released when there's no print edition is released there has to be a digital edition released so the publishers would have to publish digitally which is exactly what retailers don't want to happen right 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 so it's literally having to do the thing the retailers don't want to happen in order to, quote-unquote, have an alternative. Sure. Which, you know, retailers were not going to sign up for. It just weren't. Like, that was that was not going to happen. But, okay, I mean, it wasn't, but don't you think that there are some retailers – I mean, some retailers, of course, clearly. Oh, the, but, I mean – number of retailers who wanted this to work. Right, because you literally are going from making money every week – to making absolutely no money or, you know, very little money, you know, on trades, um, you know, and your back stock, but no new product coming out or you're being offered the alternative to kind of do, you know, as I think you mentioned here, you know, or as I think I heard rumbling online, it, it was essentially a reversal of what Marvel had done in the sense of Marvel included a free digital code with all of its print comics. And the idea was you were just going to be able to, the money would be instead of going to comiXology would go to the retailer for the print copy and you just get your digital code in advance. Yes. Yes. But here's the thing. When Marvel does that, Mm-hmm. They're using the comicsology model. They're using the comicsology engine. Yes, right, right, mm-hmm. and so this cuts comicsology entirely right out of, the, out of the package. Right. So even when Marvel does it, you have to use a comicsology product. You have to use the comicsology engine to get it, sure. which in theory could be prom- like comicsology slash Amazon can look at as well. It's a promotional thing. They'll end up buying stuff from us anyway. Sure. This cut comicsology out of it entirely and was therefore more likely to have pushback from Amazon. Right, absolutely, because the idea was it would be using – Comic Hub was going to have to have its own viewing engine set up for people to be able to read these PDFs, I think, right? Or was that even not necessarily it, you nailed would be, down? You would be reading it in Comics Hub uh, – in Comic Hub's system. Right, okay. So comicsology is not involved at all. Right, right. Exactly. Uh, okay. All right. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, like you said, a lot of pre-existing uh, situations. So, yeah. So I, I think everyone be. wanted it to work. There was a lot right. of wishful thinking, put yeah. it that way. Yes. Um, I 
honestly cannot say how much I think the Bleeding Cool article fucked it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, completely killed it by going far too early, mm-hmm. by making it raising expectations before anyone knew what it was. Right. By essentially announcing it for retailers knew what it was, which mm-hmm. I think is really what probably killed it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because um, it got retailers pissed off. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I I honestly think Bleeding Cool thing killed it more than anything else. Mm. Like, because if Bleeding Cool hadn't run that story and Comic Hub had theoretically like just tried to build this organically or secretly or quietly, mm-hmm. you would have had the chance for other people to point out all the problems, right? And say like, we don't like this, we do like this. What about this? Mm-hmm. But that's not what happened, right? You know, so I think yeah, I think Rich accidentally utterly fucked it um which i know he'll feel bad about because he legitimately bought into the idea that it was going to save the drug market right right um but i i honestly cannot like overstate how much i think the bleeding cool story is actually the thing that destroyed it wow um yeah i I, yeah it was it was a mess Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm and did it eat up your life for two days as you had to run yes, around? And, yes, yeah, it really did. It mm-hmm. really did. Wednesday was hilariously like me just like <laughs> talking to a lot of people being like, what the fuck? That was pretty much half of my Wednesday. Just going, what the fuck is this? Is this real? What right. the fuck? Like, how does it work? Right. And at one point I even asked the, the owner, I was like, oh, how does it work? Mm-hmm. And he sent me like this graphic, which honestly meant nothing. <laughs> really? <laughs> this is Comic Hub. And I was like, okay, but I don't understand the graphic. Wow. <laughs> like, I literally don't i don't get it mm. i'd also like wanted to run the graphic and i was like i can't run it because he didn't like as far as i know he didn't think it was like you know he didn't say it was off the record but i also felt bad about running it right right exactly it wasn't an official release or anything yeah. at that point yeah wow huh jesus okay so that's uh what's left two two uh, stories marvel. Story. marvel right well it's left marvel's um yeah, Marvel Marvel cutting its line scares me. Mm. Um Mar- okay, so Marvel uh has has a has an official on the like on background statement about this. Mm-hmm. Which is that it's cutting 15 to 20% of its titles. Why is it cutting cutting? It is putting on pause. Right. The official terminology, right. fifteen to twenty percent of its titles, mm-hmm. um, which is going to impact th- roughly a third of its comics output because titles double ship. Mm. It's not saying what those titles are. It's not saying how long the hold is for. It's not saying which titles like it is. Mm-hmm. It's not saying. It's not giving any details beyond that. Mm-hmm. And understandably, right? Of course, yeah. Because you don't want to be like, hey, were you really excited for? fucking whatever right like empire colon swordsman right right now it's now it's not happening mm-hmm. um but at the same time at some, they're going to have to say that at some point sure absolutely right oh the other thing i should say is all creators are getting paid for the work they've done right they're more or less getting it's it's people are getting paid kill fees and and this is sort I of no, they're not getting paid kill fees because the work's not killed it's not cancelled 
It's on pause. It could be on an indefinite pause, Jeff. Well, sure. It but, never be published, but because right. it's on pause, there's no kill fees. Well, I mean, if it's never published. The point being, they everyone's getting paid for the work that they have done yes, every, to date. Is, yeah, no one's getting paid for the work that they're not doing, I assume. Yes, exactly. Right. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. Everyone's getting paid for the work they have completed. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, yeah, it's on one hand great. Marvel was flooding the market, sure, right? Like Marvel had 103 single issues coming out in May. Marvel had 106 single issues coming out in June, right? And okay. if we, right, if we, if you, if the market is on pause for three months, as we were sort of talking about last week, the idea that that Diamond would then ship. 318 titles to comic stores the first month like they're the first back. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First two weeks back or and something. That, that just, yeah. Right. You know, that's just from one publisher. Yes. You know, it is insane. Right. Right. Uh, things will have to be staggered. So mm-hmm. on that respect, good. Right. Right. On the respect of people are losing work, but well, sure. on the respect of we don't know how long this pause is for. Well, of course. Right? Is Marvel just cutting back entirely? Does this reflect, like, is this going to be an ongoing thing? Mm-hmm. Is Marvel slash Disney going to continue to cut back? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a bit uh, that's a bit unnerving, especially because, let's be honest, Marvel is one of two publishers that can basically keep, afford to keep everyone working and bank material. Right. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, they are the ones who, at this point, I think they're the third company that we know is publicly um, pencils down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's not good. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, on the third hand, we know Marvel is cheap. Well, <laughs> so- exactly, exactly. In a way, it's not surprising. I think um, you know it is one of those things that, uh, well, I mean, I'm sure you've seen both that absolutely horrifically terrifying graph and the even more horrific real-time presentation of the graph that shows the U.S. unemployment figures. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really is one of those weeks where Anyone who is continuing to work and get paid, I think, feels like an exception rather than a rule. You I mean, know it's, I mean? you know, you look at 6.6 million people claiming unemployment this yeah. week, and that's that's actually mind bending. Yeah, yeah, you know, like it, it genuinely is. It's it's it goes beyond shocking. It, it is really does. Mm-hmm. And knowing that number is going to just continue to rise, yes, is. I mean, staggering, right. breathtaking. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, I feel impossibly lucky mm-hmm. to still be working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it actually feels surreal to me that, honestly, I've been busier in the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it all I'm also very aware of, like, I'm busier because the comics industry is dying. Right, right, you know exactly. I mean? like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I'm busy, right. because this is my field of expertise, and it is collapsing. Right, right, absolutely. Um, which is which is terrifying, and it's also that like, what are you going to re- be reporting on um, two months from now at this point? You know, I mean that, I, yeah, 
I mean, watching watching the movie industry go from you know uh, weekends of one hundred and eighty four million dollars to five thousand dollars or whatever it is. You know, yeah. is it five million I, or five thousand? Five thousand. Five thousand. Yeah, five thousand. It, it was officially a one hundred percent drop year on year last yeah. weekend. Yeah, which is, I mean. Uh, I saw this figure yesterday, which was amazingly sobering, which is there's been a 36% drop in online advertising in the last few weeks. Oh, my God. Uh, there's been a 43% drop in print advertising. Well, yeah. The print advertising is the stuff that I see. Because print advertising is, you and I know, uh, I think had talked about in previous episodes, things like uh, The Stranger, The Willamette Weekly, or print publications are st- – so tied to um, events it, happening in the world that they're advertising for, you know, yeah. uh, whereas like, you know, uh, online advertising is a lot more like, let's sell you a box of, you know, well, crap. But, but I mean, I, I'm also like very aware of like my organizations who I work for. Right. Like are entertainment based. Yes. Right. Right. In all seriousness, if like if nothing's happening and movies are being are moved like a year out. Yes. Yeah. If nothing's happening, at some point there will be nothing to advertise. Right. 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 Yeah. Uh, and so I'm I'm very aware. Yeah. That I am probably like on a countdown to losing work. Well, I I mean I think we're all anyone all yeah percent. everyone should be thinking about that if they're not already you know because i i've been working i've actually had a pretty busy week at work and like you said kind of like oh it's been you know almost busier than usual not entirely true but the second half of the week that's true but a lot of it it are people um hammering out settlements and if you hammer out settlements but then you don't come up with new cases like then you don't have any work and for that matter, you know, the thing that's so weird, and I apologize if this is something that, that I mentioned last week because it's just my endless fixation, is is how the disease affects the body and how COVID-19 hits the fabric of society. You know, you don't have to take out a disease doesn't have to kill every individual cell to kill the person, right? You just get enough of the major organs and the person dies. You know, if you take out the entertainment industry and the transportation industry and the restaurant industry and the tourism industry and the manufacturing industry, like, you, I mean, even if you just take out the distribution, the transportation of the distribution stuff, like at a certain point, it kind of doesn't, you know, the idea that I'm still able to quote unquote work is like, I only do that while the power's on and the internet works. And like, you know, there's all the other stuff. And it's, there's such a weird, um, slow motion feeling to this that is so slow, you can kind of just keep going on with business as usual or adjust to whatever you're new normal is but there's also times where you can sort of see if everything keeps continuing for a certain point and i don't know what that point is and there are probably people who do that you know who literally do who aren't talking about it 
after that, it's where things really start getting like even scarier, which seems almost impossible uh, to to say out loud. It, yeah, it, it. But that's just it. Like that's where we are. So it's it's you know Marvel pauses these titles, right? And it feels shocking. It genuinely feels shocking. Yeah. When I saw that. Yeah. Um. And what's funny is it felt shocking, and I I retweeted the the initial news and report because I like, holy shit people are, like I go DMs with people being like this just makes sense like there's right. there's nothing concerning or worrying about this right. uh, and all I could think was like this is the one publisher that could probably afford it yeah one of the two definitely you I know? mean I, I, like I, you I, said I, we I, know I, that Marvel's cheap so there is yeah. that you know uh, but it just it for me it really sort of underscored the like the rest of this year is going to be hard in ways I don't think the industry really knows how to deal with. Well, I do think Diamond saying that it wasn't, that it was going to stop shipping was, uh, was hugely shocking. As yes. I think you made the case for this episode, at least briefly, if you think about it, the idea that Diamond is not, is having cash flow problems and is not going to pay its vendors is uh, flabbergasting. I mean, it's yes. yeah. really it, I mean, horrifying. It, also, I don't know if you know, but apparently Diamond in the UK and maybe the US is already reaching out to stores that are closed, asking them to pay up money's owed. Oh, fuck. Yeah, right. See, and that's... Which is, yeah. you know, again, really bad. Yeah, exactly. Like, really, people are going to go into business bad. Right, right. Um. So, yeah, so the short version, Outlook, very grim. Yes, Outlook very grim all around. This is going to be, uh, you know, I, I I think it was two years ago now. I think I said like last year or maybe 20, no, it was 2018. Yeah. I was like, you know, I think this is going to be like, you know, a, a year of carnage for the industry. That's right. And I was thankfully very wrong. That's right. But there's no way this isn't going to be a horrible year for the industry. Oh, oh, utterly. Like there's, there's no way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like, publishers are going to go out of business, 100%. Stores are definitely going to go out of business. Yes. But, you know, that's a best-case scenario at this point. Right. No, exactly. Best-case scenario is the industry literally dies slash has to reinvent itself in to a degree that people would have thought unthinkable, like, six months ago. Right. Now, do you... Can can you imagine what that would be? I of course can't because I'm literally yes terrified for it, culture. It ultimately, day day, yeah. it ultimately comes down to uh, comics need to have multiple distribution sources. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I I I don't think I'm speaking incredibly out of school uh, in saying that I'm fairly sure that book distributors are being approached uh, as as an alternate system. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that's that's something that the, the very best takes time to ramp up. Yes, and also we say that like book distribution is also not affected right now. Right. Like I, I, you know, book publications, mm-hmm. like the book publishing industry, is also being completely decimated by yeah. what's going on. Right. Right. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. So. Uh, we'll see, but there's there's no way that this is not going to hurt horribly. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, again, I kind of have this weird thing of, um, yeah, uh, like, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I, I have feel that this is, this could well be the end of anything that's not digitally distributed. You know, I just, I kind of think that that yeah. is. No, there's good. There's always going to be a print market. There, uh, but but I mean, how big that is? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's open question, right? But there will be a print industry. It's just it might be, you know, tiny. <laughs> like, well, but that's like, what I'm. Yes, of hundreds, thousands of copies, like thousands of copies. No, no, uh, exactly. It's it print bookstores, comic stores. They could end up literally becoming record stores. You know, like mm-hmm. every, like. We say that like comic stores aren't record stores already. Well, co- r- comic stores are, it depends on how you want to, def- where, which side you're looking at it from. Like if you're looking at it from the bottom up, yes, it is because it's like you, they're hard to find. You'll see them in major urban areas, much harder to find in the rural areas, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of say how much money the music industry brings in and how much of that is coming from record stores as opposed to when you look at comics and how much of the money from comics comes from the direct market i think they're really different and maybe i'm wrong about that but i i think that there is really big differences in terms of of those ratios like you know as everyone says digital is you know a fifth the size or a tenth the size of the print market and i am pretty sure that that is the opposite with the music industry and uh i don't i don't i and beyond that i don't know like the book yeah industry, i, I, of don't, course, I don't know in terms of uh, yeah. the pros in yeah. market I, I have no idea exactly um but no it, it's uh, i i yeah we'll see what happens but the it's going to be a, it's i mean it's going to be a year of shit yeah it's yeah. it's that simple now yeah and you know the good news is let's be honest it's already a year of shit <laughs> right no 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 i mean well except the flip side of that is is like graham it's april 4th you know, like that's, I used, I, on other years, I haven't even, haven't gotten used to writing the year on the check correctly by this point. You know what I mean? Like, and here it is, we are only 25% of the way through the year and, and it's just been, uh, it's just been a meat grinder, you know? Yeah. It's been, it's been nuts. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I really, there is so much to, to, to kind of, um, wring one's hands about. And you and I, I think are normally prone to hand wringing in the best of times, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's some pretty scary stuff. It's what's weird and crazy of course is the areas in which we find ourselves is as you pointed out you know you're still working uh you know 
you lived in an urban area that has uh, sheltered in place relatively. I don't know what you're, you know, you're, the numbers for Oregon and Portland are... Are no, super low. Yes, like, super genuinely low. low. Yeah, like weirdly low. Like it may be the lack of availability of testing, but, you know, you're it's not the craziness that Seattle is. And, and of course, down here in the Bay Area, we're all freaked out and nervous as shit. But you look at what's going on in New York, and it's nothing like what's happening there, you know? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, the New York news is just daily. Uh, I can't imagine being there. Right. You know, no. like, I just can't. I yeah. can't imagine it. Yeah. Yeah, actually, uh, it, it, it is, yeah, there's just so much about it that is, um, is brain breaking. Uh, yeah, it's beyond comprehension. It genuinely yeah. is. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, uh, and the weird part, of course, is sort of, I'm also like, if this had happened, say, in 1997, like, part of me is like, it would be so much worse, you know, if all we could do is, text and oh, yeah. send no, emails. No, that's just it. Like, if we didn't have the internet, I was thinking that this morning. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the internet was, is doing everything that that DARPA and everyone else who helped develop it is designed to do, and then some. But it is, it is, it's, yeah, there's so much that is hanging upon it, and and the genuinely dire and heroic um, people who are selling food, distributing food, working in hospitals, providing providing the necessities for us to survive. It's 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 um it's it really is one of those crazy ass times. I'm I am. Uh, this week was so hard for me. Like it's really been interesting talking to you tonight because I have been so. Uh, is this 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 is a strange thing to say? Is this the longest conversation you've had with someone who isn't Edie? Oh, yeah, by far, by far. Uh, I, yeah. Because or, 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 I, I'll try because I mean we've been talking for two hours. Obviously, it's a long conversation. I guess what I mean is like even if we talked for half an hour, would that be the longest conversation you had that wasn't in a work uh, setting? With someone who wasn't eighty. Well, the thing that's crazy is work in a work setting. Um, uh, I've had a bunch of those conversations, but on the phone, none of them have lasted longer uh, than about six minutes. There mm-hmm. have been a couple of friends that I've made a point to talk to uh, on the weekends. Those calls top out at about an hour. So. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, yes, but actually what I was going to say is is that if you and I had had recorded this call on Wednesday or Thursday, I think it – I think – well, let's just say you would have been able to get a lot more um, speaking in because <laughs> I'm not sure that I could have done more than said four sentences. Wednesday and Thursday, I was so – down that Wednesday night I literally did that Charlie Brown thing of after work was done being in my office sitting on my daybed with my iPad 
and not getting up to turn on the lights. So I just sat there and it got darker and darker and darker in the room. And then eventually I just walked out and told Edie I was going to bed. And I think I went to bed at something like 830 that night. And that was that was it for me. I had yeah, it's been it's funny. Uh Chloe and I yesterday went for we. I got a text from Lucy Bellwoods, the cartoonist who's a friend of mine who lives like really close. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, a, I'm in like 33rd, she's in 36th, right? Oh, so wow. like blocks away, right? Um, and she just texted me like, "I was just walking past your house, and I thought about coming in, but you know, social quarantine." Mm-hmm. And I wrote back and was like, "How are you doing?" Like blah blah blah. Uh, and then I was like, "We should just like del- like deliver cookies." Because Chloe's gotten into baking this week. Mm, mm-hmm. she's, she's a, she is very good at baking. I don't mean this in sense like, you know, she's learning to bake like so many people are. Like, she just was like, this is something that is comforting me. Right. I'm going to bake. And plus, that this is like, I have, like, gained so much weight in this last week, Jeff. You have no idea. <laughs> um, but I was like, we should just drop cookies off for you. Mm-hmm. And she was like, that would be great. Like, that would be lovely. And so last night we did. Mm. And we didn't like the idea was literally I was going to drop the cookies and leave them on her porch and then text her and be like, open your door. Mm-hmm. And so I dropped them on the porch and I go downstairs and I get to the sidewalk and she opens the door and she was like, I saw you, <laughs> but I didn't want to open the door because it like, you know, social distancing. But she sat on her porch and we stood on the ground and we talked for like 10 minutes. And Jeff, that conversation mm-hmm. like felt like the world. Mm hmm. Absolutely. You know what I, mean? mm-hmm. I was like, I'm alive again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I really did. I was like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's true. Weirdly, I think everyone had just had enough uh, yes, y- yesterday because Edie and I, we go for walks in the morning um, and Friday morning we were both like wiped. So we're like, we'll go in the afternoon. And I got off work. We went for a walk in the afternoon, and and as we were heading out, the neighbors at the corner of our block were having a, a social distancing party where literally people were putting out chairs on each corner of their block, and they had ordered pizza, which was going to be delivered um, to a station sort of equidistant so they could all go get pizza and they were all just hanging out on the corners, drinking wine and talking with one another. And similarly, our next door neighbors, who are absolutely really super sweet couple, we came back from our walk and they were sitting out with their kids, drinking, enjoying the sunshine. We talked to them for like, I think only five or ten minutes. Because the sad part is Edie and I are just introverted enough. That when we were like, we're still getting to know our neighbors, you know, you're, you, you and Lucy are tight and which makes a huge difference. Um, I'm still getting to know my neighbors. So when our neighbors were like, Hey, yeah, we're having pizza and we're just hanging out with our Chablis and grabbing up seats. And, you know, I, 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 you know, we were like, oh, great, we're going on our walk, and okay, great, come back, and yeah, absolutely. And, of course, I'm like, okay, how the hell do we get back to our house without crossing through the long-distance key party? Because I just don't want to – I can't do it. And Edie, God bless her, was like, yeah, I, I can't I can't do it either. So we had our 10 minutes no, no, of talking I, to someone I, I else, but yeah, yeah. No, I, I just mean, on the one hand, of course, I always love talking with you. Uh, 
there are those times where I'm a little more um, blappity on the, the episodes than others. And I'm just struck for me the last two days, for whatever reason, I have felt like um, just more upbeat to the point of being manic. Whereas Wednesday, Thursday, um, I don't, I do not in any way think of myself as a bipolar personality. I'm just sort of, you know, with, you know, on the moody side of things, but because of how fucking extreme the world is, I was, I just, I, Wednesday and Thursday, I was just, I was just destroyed is I think the best mm-hmm. way to put it. Yeah. It, you know? It's, it's. But it is, it's like, it's like, um, even if you were holding up really well, and honestly, I feel like I am holding up real, I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm holding up better this week than I was last week. Mm -hmm. Um, you're like, you still can't help but fray around the edges. Oh yeah. Right. Right. Like, cause just the immensity of what is happening. Right. I, you know, and the immensity of what's happening is one thing. I think the, kind of like you said, the, there's a little bit of the. Like, oh, you know, if the the direct marketplace and the comic book marketplace um, particularly was ossified and it needed to change. And now it more or less has no choice. Yeah, it has to change. Right. The thing that is really, I think, part of what completely stultified me this week is I feel the same about... America and what I saw this week from America does not give me a lot of hope. You know what I mean? (laughs) Hopefully that will turn around, but I just looked at how I was like, well, okay, so things are going to change and things weren't unless they were sort of changing for the worse, but it was kind of like, wait, why are people acting more rapacious why are the people that we aren't listening to somehow get shouldn't be listening to getting a bigger audience and the people who we should be listening to are diminishing? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it just felt like, and this is not, it, it's all through the lens of how you want to look at it. But in lots of very, what feel like very important ways, a lot of dub- bad behavior was being doubled down on. And mm-hmm. I just, Wednesday, Thursday, it was all I could do to get through work. And then literally there was just, uh, I can't, it's, it's, it's weird how much I feel like nature teaches us to kind of be powerless. You know what I mean? Like we get, no matter what you do, the sun is going to come up in the morning. No matter what you do, it's going to rain. Sometimes you're going to know it's going to rain, and sometimes you don't know, and you're surprised. But, you know, you have to react to nature. And, in fact, evolution is us doing exactly that in a way that changes um, our race, right? And society and culture is supposed to be the opposite of that it's literally supposed to be the thing that we participate in that we make and it makes us and there is a horrible turning point where you realize that 
you don't have the control that you think that you do or thought that you did or hoped that you wanted you would have. You just don't. And unless things go a different path, your only option to change it, I mean, part of part of the reason why democracy exists or so we are led to believe is so that power can exchange hands without people being guillotined, you know, without there being a violent overthrow of power. Like the status quo manages to change without there being a mass grave involved Mm -hmm. in the process. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I really, this week was like the, the, the humility of COVID-19 um, is something that because it's closer to nature, I feel like I'm enough of a hippie that I'm like, okay, I don't particularly, I'm terrified of dying with my lungs filled with, you know, garbage. But in a, in a larger sense, that's kind of the way nature has always sort of played. And I'm quote unquote fortunate to be living in a time where I've survived for that long. The whole thing in which American society has built itself to be so um, like, like diamond uniquely terribly prepared for the challenges that it faces is yes. <laughs> depressing and then it becomes more depressing in the face of well what are people going to do about it and the answer being the worst thing you know is is genuinely just like i no it is it's like sometimes you look at headlines and you know there are the headlines of things that are uh quote unquote outside our control right you know you look at the the number of dead Right. You look at the number of the cases in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you look at headlines and it's like, well, here's how people have been traveling right. <laughs> over the last few weeks. And you're like, okay, so in some areas, they have to travel to get shopping. Right. You know what I mean? Like yes. it's a rural area. They have yeah. to travel. But then there are other areas where that's not true at all. Yes. No, completely. In Florida, what the fuck are you doing? Right. You know, no, I, exactly. I, you know, there are things where you're just like, do people just like either think that they're fine or not care? Right. Right. You know, or do they just not know? Right. Is the other thing. Right. No. You know, like, have you heard, have you heard about people discussing class action suits against Fox? Uh, no, no. But so this, this is something that is apparently being discussed mm-hmm. uh, in some seriousness. Mm-hmm. The Fox has been actively sharing this information mm-hmm. and that it may be liable for a class action suit. Uh, from families of the bereaved after this. Right. Right. Um, which, you know, I kind of would love to see, to be perfectly honest. Well, no, absolutely. But, but I think that's the thing that, that sort of, I mean, the thing that also makes me sad is the fact that we are already talking about justice for the wrongs rather than the, the idea that we could get it right, you know, and I, I, but I in mean, all seriousness, are we not somewhat past the getting it right phase? Well, I, I think, I think 
with the power structure in place that it is, I think that you are largely correct. I mean, not just the fact that we have the fact that the federal government is literally bidding against states. Yes, that's the, the yeah, seeing that, you know, that shocking. is shocking looking. At, I mean, and this is in a way shouldn't be surprising, but at the nature of it is the reports that countries are literally saying that U.S. is pirating items promised to them. Yep. You know, I mean, you are seeing things that it, if it is not the death throes of capitalism, it is something far scarier, which is the calcification of it into um, in, into what? Like, I don't I don't even quite understand, you know, what it is. I mean, I do. I just don't think I can wrap my brain around it which is a uh you know edgar Allan poe's uh the mask of the red death comes up a lot in the last couple of weeks i don't you know I, I mean or so it seems to me when this thing started going the the of course the big comparison were as you as you pointed out there are the poor that were traveling you know because they have to and because they don't have supermarkets uh, within a uh, close distance of them. But you also see the rich flying in, having parties. And of course, there's the infamous party that supposedly happened at Mar Ar Lago that where people are like, yeah, we're pretty, you know, the number of rich people that flew into that party and then flew out, and the number of them that have COVID 19 uh, have yeah. tested positive, yeah. that it's that. Again, the mask is a red death. The the part of the appeal of Poe's florid story is is that the rich, no matter how rich they are, they cannot um, escape disease. That the plague is this equalizer that brings down um, people who thought that they that the rules literally didn't apply to them. But I also have this creepy. Um, uh, discomfort with the the point in the story where the you know the they start saying unmask unmask and my worry is is that capitalism is unmasking and the sort of um the the cruelty in the system which always sort of seemed optional is now going to be um uh is is no longer an optional feature but i mean everyone you know marks and everyone's like no dummy that's the whole point it's based on exploitation it, there was never anything optional about the cruelty of it but i just feel that unfortunately it's metastasizing into something that feels like uh, like tyranny in a way that is um, really genuinely distressing. I mean, and, and, you know, this can lead us down some other things, but it's ironic considering how depressed I was on Super Tuesday. I didn't literally do the whole, because I'm, you know, a grown ass man in his fifties. I didn't be like, wow, there's no way that I will be more depressed about the state of society than this. But, 
by the same token, if I had only known in Super Tuesday how I was going to feel a mere month later, I think, I don't know, I might have, maybe I would have, you know, rationed my misery out a little more wisely, <laughs> I guess. You know what I mean? I don't know. Uh, Graham McMillan. Here's, here, yes. Jeff, yes. here's the thing. Yes. We don't need to ration out our misery. <laughs> misery is a, it's a, it's a renewing, it a is renewing resource. the ever renewable resource of humanity. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's, it's what we're, it's what keeps this country alive. It's what, what keeps this podcast alive. <laughs> 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 uh, I, okay. We're, we really should wrap things up. Yes. But I was just going to say, uh, last week, uh, you and I said that the prisoner is something we should both rewatch. Yes. Um, I started, it's on Tubi. It is streaming. If you, if you can put up with adverts. It's on the Tubi app, T-U-B-I. I will check it um, out. Uh, and uh, if that was last week's recommended viewing, this week's recommended viewing is something that uh, I watched last weekend, which is Mad Max Fury Road. Guys, you think that like the world couldn't get any worse? Slash, do you want to see where we're going to be in six months? Watch Mad Max Fury Road. Yes. It, yeah. It's great. If nothing else, it, it's like it's genuinely great. And it, it's oddly thrilling and satisfying yeah yeah i i can see that actually part of me is like "Ooh, fury road it's a little too on the nose but i'm a guy who anyone who followed me on twitter spent an embarrassingly amount of long time throwing a tantrum about my inability to get a hold of george romero's the crazies which is an even an equally on the nose terrifying oh this is where we're going to be in six months type of movie except with a much lower budget than uh mad max fury road is a genius movie i do have it's really good Uh, and i think i told you this i don't think i said on the podcast the reason that we were watching it was that it was being shown to the seven-year-old oh you told me about something else inappropriate the seven-year-old was watching fury road is new news to me uh no it was yeah because the other thing was birds of prey which he loved right and he loved fury road and of course he loved fury road because it's good but also like it's dumb enough it's actually like it's a very smart film oh it is but also it works on a like a dumb level works on a seven-year-old level oh completely you know it's yeah. big cars and thing. And watching it, I realized, of course, he loves this film. He loved Hobbs and Shaw, yes, which was right, like his ideal film. Yeah, it was his perfect film. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hobbs and Shaw is pretty great. Um, Hobbs and Shaw is yeah, yeah. But and Fury Road is is that times two because it is so it's so big, but it's also. Um, there's ridiculously. Uh, I mean, there's over the top stunts. It's visually stunning. Absolutely, it's it's just edited like a motherfucker. But there's also yeah. parts that have almost no dialogue. It's like classic, um, you know. Depending on where you want to point your point your uh, influence at, it's either a Leone style spaghetti western or it's like you know the classics of silent film going back to buster keaton uh it is so pared down to its essentials and then builds just bigger and bigger bigger set pieces with it it is i do i adore that movie uh i should look up 
I should look up the prisoner. Um, I will be watching the crazies and I think I probably will watch Fairy road. I have to say you, you should it like in all seriousness, it's great. Yeah. I mean, yes, I, I, I adore it. I've seen it several times. I'd love to see it. I don't suppose you guys saw the quote unquote Chrome edition. Um, no, but after watching this edition and honestly, uh, like really think about how much I love the color in it. I do too. I was like, I was like, oh, okay, you know what? I'm going to watch. I'm going to look up on YouTube and see the trailer for the Chrome Edition. And there's a bunch of like videos being like, we've can make comparisons because of course there's this fucking YouTube. Of course. Um, and honestly, I don't see the point of it. Some people have said that it's great, and I have, look if it works for them, great. But no, 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 no. But I know. But see, that's it. I also love the color palette of Fury Road so much. That I also am kind of like, oh, I guess I should see it that way because everyone says it. But in the back of my brain, the fact that I've had the ability to for like a year now and still haven't, I think, is a testimony to. Well, I don't know. That's that's I, that, I'm, that's like, yeah, it's a testimony to the fact that I'm one of the most procrastinative persons that I know, even and especially when it comes down to trying to close down our two and a half hour podcast. So, two and a half hour you wish. I know, Graham. <laughs> I know. I'm so sad. Welcome uh, to the three hour podcast, everyone. <laughs> so uh, I'm sorry, yeah, I'm I'm sorry, everyone. And also the three hour podcast we spent an hour talking about infinite crime. I know. I oh, know. I, I kind of love that. Oh my it god. It is pretty good. Um okay, I really am gonna try and shut things down, though we sure know it's up for this uh a wait well podcast. Uh, as soon as Jeff is live, because Jeff is much better than me. Uh there is is uh, an Instagram that I still haven't updated, instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpods. There is waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. There is at waitwhatpodcast on Twitter. Jeff is on Twitter at lazybastard at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I'm on Twitter at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And this is a Patreon-supported podcast. Although I don't know if Jeff's going to say it, so I'll say it. Guys, it's fucking crazy out there. If any of you feel that you have to put a pause or like cancel your patrons <laughs> like yes. we get it yes like, we really do absolutely so just just know that jeff that said do your thing yes um listeners you inspire us you really you really do i uh i think i talked a little bit in this episode by which i mean i talked enormous amounts just very super incredibly recently about how down i was on uh wednesday and thursday and uh i was i'm really up and admittedly that could just be the pendulum swinging from side to side to bring up more edgar Allan poe although that's not really the way people mean when they talk about pendulums no, but that, that's exactly what it means yeah right exactly they're like yeah you know you're kind of swinging back to forth like that uh story about the guy who almost gets cut in half by the thing uh man edgar Allan poe what was your deal um yes our our upcoming podcast edgar Allan poe what was your deal uh coming soon uh would you you, I definitely think that I would be in a pretty murky place without this podcast, and I am incredibly grateful to all the listeners for, you know, um, uh, you know, giving us a, a, an excuse to talk to each other for a long time before we could actually acknowledge that 
that was a thing that uh, I was is certainly very personally important to me. Um, we also want to thank the people on Patreon because you guys do throw us a bit of your hard earned dosh. If that is a thing that you cannot do uh, because the world is going through a crazy time. Do not worry. We will still continue to make more podcasts just as we did uh, for years before um, Patreon came along. Although I have to say it's a little bit easier for me to turn around and peruse the Marvel buy one, get one sale currently ongoing at Comixology, knowing that I have a, a bit of your hard earned dosh that you've sent our way. But don't worry. As you know, I've got plenty of comic books stockpiled for exactly this sort of situation. Um, but yes, I want to give a special shout out to friend of the podcast, Domino, Dominic El Franco. I don't know why I wanted to say Domino, um, other than people may remember. Graham, didn't, didn't you and I talk about Domino with Sean Witzke on an episode of the Travis Bickle uh, podcast, Travis Bickle oh, on the Riviera? I think we did. Yeah, I kind of had this weird thing of like, no. I mean, I remember talking to Sean, but did yeah, I think Graham got pulled pulled into that as well, right? Like you and I didn't we talk, we definitely talked about Carrie. We've definitely talking about. We've Carrie definitely done. Yeah, we've yeah. definitely done a. God, okay, someone's gonna have to go and look it up. Yeah, because I'm <laughs> it's like, it's not gonna be you or me, but yes, yeah, yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, where was I? Oh yes, Dominic El Franco friend of the podcast uh hopefully um dominic you did not mind this infinite crisis uh discussion because it was inspired by you and hopefully everyone else didn't mind it if you do blame me and maybe graham a little bit but not dominic at all and of course empress audrey queen of the galaxy uh we're especially grateful for her continuing support of this podcast and uh this neck of the cosmic realm but uh audrey if you could if you could do something perhaps about this covid-19 thing we would we would appreciate it no pressure cuz you already do a lot as it is but um nonetheless it it just just think about it that's all i'm saying just just give it some thought graham no, if look i anyone who could do something about it we're we're in yes absolutely just, just make it happen where's the fucking beyonder when you need him yes where is he um I was, huh? I, yeah, huh? huh? He's, I, I think that as ever, the answer is always he's in the bathroom learning how to do a poo. Just, I, I just that. want to put this, just want to put this to you. Mm -hmm. Do you remember why the Beyonder looked like he did as a human in Secret Wars 2? Uh, uh, I, I, you know, there was a weird, like, he is the perfect human being and therefore he, he looks like white Michael Jackson. Yeah. yeah isn't that well, it? No. He specifically took the body of Steve Rogers, right, and then gave himself Michael Jackson's haircut because that's what it meant to be popular when he was under the sway of a gangster. <laughs> All I'm saying is, if they made a Secret Wars two movie, yeah, Chris Evans could come back and get Jerry curls. Oh shit. I gotta I'm say, I'm just saying, Marvel. Oh, I'm just saying, you're a genius, man. This is what America, the country, the world needs. <laughs> also, bitey bitey bantas now available through the Wait What podcast store. Until we get sued into oblivion by <laughs> Lucasfilm, by Lucasfilm and Parker Brothers. 
it'd be a delightful tag team. Uh, I, I'm, <laughs> sorry. I'm, I'm look. I'm trying to close it down. I'm because we have been going like no. we really. No, legitimately I know. I know. I hate myself as a human hours. being because when I'm going to be editing this tomorrow. Oh yeah, that's you're going to hate I'm yourself. Going to do from very much tomorrow. Dawn to dusk. On that note, everyone. Bye. Yes. Also, Drock next week. I think.